Hi, everybody. Uh, John Suntress here from Word Balloon and uh, wanted to uh, pay respects to a comic creator and photographer from uh, Brooklyn that was a, just a, a really, really sweet guy. And that's Seth Kushner. Um, I literally just read about Seth's passing uh, within the last half hour or so. And um, I knew he was sick. I knew he had leukemia. I'd been following along with everybody uh, on Facebook um, Seth's updates and progress, and um, it's it's just shocking. Uh, Seth and uh, Chris Irving, a couple of years ago, you might remember, did the excellent book uh, Leaping Tall Buildings. Seth was a photographer for that. He uh, also worked with um, his good friend Dean Haspiel uh, in uh, Hangdai Studios. Seth was also part of uh, Trip City and... Um, a few of the other uh, comic uh, collectives in uh, Brooklyn over the years. Uh, he uh, wrote and drew a, a comic book called Schmuck, and we talked about it here on Word Balloon. We talked about Leaping Tall Buildings. We talked about Hang Dye. We talked also at uh, conventions and just uh, shared shop talk because um, I felt a kinship to Seth because, uh, much like me with radio, he was a, a photojournalist, and uh, we just talked about how uh, things were changing in the world. And we talk about it actually in the, the conversations you're going to hear today and uh, the competition that uh, citizen journalism uh, has uh, suddenly presented itself to uh, people who train for these professions uh, through school and, and work experience, uh, but was always optimistic, uh, both in his uh, sickness and uh, in life. And uh, Schmuck is a, a wonderful uh, legacy uh, as far as a, a comic book that he leaves behind. And um, my my heart goes out to his wife and his, his son, his whole family. And um, I, uh, I felt the only uh, – he was another friend of Word Balloons that deserved um, us uh, taking a moment and uh, remembering his contributions to the comics community. And uh, just what a what a great guy he was! Another great example of a of a life well lived. So uh, I hope you'll enjoy hearing um, today's rep 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 uh, presentations of my conversations with Seth over the years. Um, first up, I'm going to have uh, him and uh, Dean Haspiel talking about Trip City. Trip City was a, a a website that Schmuck was originally serialized at, and uh, he, uh, we we talk in the past tense about uh, them. <laughs> building uh, Trip City. They also did podcasts there and um, we're doing some uh, creator interviews over there, uh, both uh, Seth and Dean. So uh, let's listen to that now on Word Balloon. Let's check back in with Dean Haspiel and Seth Kushner. Now, both of them have got a new website, TripCity.net. They are part of a salon of multimedia creators putting out content every day of the week. We get into that conversation. Seth is also here to talk about Leaping Tall Buildings, his book with Chris Irving that uh, takes a good look at comic book history from the Golden Age to the Modern Age. Seth's contributions included wonderful portraits of creators, guys from the 30s uh, all the way up to today's web creators. We talk about that. At the beginning of the conversation, though, really before we started the interview, I had to apologize. Seth even mentioned this on his blog. A lot of people are using Seth's photographs in uh, news uh, blogs about comics and things without actually crediting him. And I had to confess I did it as well, not realizing it, uh, we're using a Joe Quesada picture. Turns into a very funny story. But uh, as, a, as a courtesy to Seth and also to remind us all, uh, if you use somebody else's photographs, try to give them credit. 
when you use them. And I scold myself in the process as well. But uh, that's how our conversation begins on this portion of Word Balloon. He's there. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Seth, I was just saying to John, I noticed <laughs> that, that that when you sent out your name before, it said yeah. Seth R. Kushner? Yeah. Oh, that's right? That's correct, yeah. What's the R? That's my middle name. Your middle name is R, like Rakim? It, it is Rakim, <laughs> yes. You, you, you got, it is Rakim. You got in the first try. Rakim Kushner. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. I'm glad you're impressed. I shared a studio with this guy for a year, and I didn't realize his middle name was Rakim. Seth, I'm, I'm glad you're on. And hey, th- hey, thanks for the preview copy as well, man. Oh, sure. Thanks for lo- looking it over. Oh, my pleasure. No, it's a, it's a great book. You guys did a great job, man. Oh, you, have, you, you actually have a hard copy of it, John? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, it's so yeah. beautiful. In my hands right now. Absolutely. It's, I have to confess, yeah. and I'm happy to do it on the air, Seth. Yeah. I used one of your pictures, and I feel terrible about it. Joe Casada. I feel so bad. <laughs> I, oh, so, really? <laughs> Man, culpa, absolutely, man. We can and talk I'll say, about I mean, it. We can talk about it. I mean, that's an interesting part of the conversation, you know? I'm, I'm happy to do that, exactly. That's <laughs> why not? That's why. Yeah, no, we, we always get into stuff like this, you know, so I'm, I'm glad to talk about that. That's, oh, that's good. Right. It's quite right. The funny thing with Costada, everyone's used that same photo, not just you. Actually, it's off um, today. Where did I see it today? Um, someone ran an interview with Joe Costada. I, uh, I forget which side. It was about the, uh, the Spider-Man, the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Sure. And they used that same photo. And I realized, as a thank you to Joe, because it's kind of hard to get him originally, and we've got a lot of back and forth. I said, you know what, I'll, I'll give you a copy to use for PR, just, you know, between you and I. It ended up being this kind of Marvel corporate thing. I, I, was, I was obviously um, <laughs> a little bit naive and ended up being absolutely everywhere, and Marvel never credits me. <laughs> uh. Never, ever credited me, which is ridiculous. I mean, I gave it for free. Like, I didn't ask for payment or anything. It was just, you know, I figured it would be used like twice. I didn't know it would be his official headshot. <laughs> well, I don't are we, think are I we recording, Oh yeah, we're we're already up and running. Oh, okay, because oh. I was just going to suggest, uh, yeah. and and I want to I want this to be on the recording. Seth, yeah. you should do another article where yeah. basically, you because know, I know you did the one called Copyright Seth Kushner. We can t- yeah. talk about that in a second, but it would be cool to then go and show the behind the scenes, like what what arrived to that photo, and then maybe you could Photoshop mm-hmm. where like his eyes are in the wrong place, or like you know he's got <laughs> like four nipples on his cheeks or something. Who knows? Like, <laughs> You know, and then, what, like though? all the work and effort you did to putting into getting that that one nice snapshot, <laughs> and really do a farce on, nah, on like you, you know being the photographer. <laughs> nah, you know what? It it it, it, it wouldn't be that wouldn't be fair because Joe. Yeah, I'm sure Joe had nothing to do with it. Like, I didn't even. It wasn't even no, Joe I that I emailed it to. He was really you know an amazingly cool guy, and thankfully you know was a good supporter of the book. He sat down for two different interviews over like two years, and he gave a lot of right. a lot of time. So. Uh, it, it was, you know, it was just Marvel PR. Someone I never even, you know, never even talked to you directly. Just put this out there and never really thought to, to credit me. And well, but, I guess I, you know, whatever. But Someone yeah. brought up, I think, in our own comment section from that uh, piece you did. Yeah. That why don't you, uh, what, is it, what is it, watermark it's called? Do you watermark the picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I, I thought of that. Actually, a, a better solution is, you know, the photographers do this and, uh, and artists. They, um... Just along the bottom somewhere, you just in a in a bold font, just copyright in your name, rather than watermarking it and defacing the photo or the image. Right. Just to put right. it right in the bottom, because frankly, most people who steal, I'm assuming, are not Photoshop proficient. They won't be able to crop it out. I'll just have to use it. Right? Am I right, John? Right. What you think? 
like make them. I don't know, man. I crop all the time, and I suck at photos. Oh, do you? Oh, I do so, so, and I and I don't crop to to uh, hurt people. Sure. But you know, I mean, I I honestly do. I mean, and I suck at Photoshop, as you can tell from the images that I put up with my episodes, obviously. Wow. So, and I have to lean on on pictures like uh, like Seth's, obviously. Let's right. get started. First of all, great to talk to both of you. It's been a long time. It might have been. That uh, has it really been since that Baltimore show? Certainly for Seth, it's been that Baltimore yeah. 2009 show since we spoke. Dean, you and I spoke when uh, when you were in Chicago at Quimby's uh, a little bit after that. We spoke there, but then we we uh, we did another we did a, a show with I believe Tim Hall uh, regarding yes. Picar. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's so right. Think, when Harvey, yeah, when Harvey passed away, that's exactly right. Yeah. So that's about two years ago, and and wow. back then I forget what I was working. I was probably working on a Cuba My Revolution. And yeah, Picar just passed away, and then since then I've hopscotched and done like other little gigs. I haven't gotten another substantial graphic novel since then, which has been weird uh, career-wise because I, I had the good fortune of having memoirs that I drew, for lack of a better description, you know, between uh, the Quitter with Picar and then doing some yeah. American Splendor stories that we, we brought uh, American Splendor over to Vertigo, and then I did um, uh, the Alcoholic with Jonathan Ames. And yes. which then led to getting more work to work on the HBO show Bored to Death. Uh, and I uh, got three seasons of work out of that, which was a lot of fun. And an Emmy, which was kind of a <laughs> nice. Cool, yeah, I saw know? the pictures. Well done, sir. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. And then, uh, and then uh, Cuba, My Revolution, which was uh, de- uh, near dear to my heart because in Verna Lopez, whose story that was, uh, it's kind of like a second mother to me. And it was just kind of amazing to be able to, uh, talk to Karen Berger about taking her story and turning it into a comic book, uh, and that was my third, you know, major uh, book. And then, and and then uh, I know that Vertigo had to uh, cut some of its staff. Uh, mainly, I think the more um, uh, nonfiction works that they were publishing, and kind of, you know, focus their line recently as as it's gotten a little tighter and smaller. But that was also during the time when. Uh, you know, DC decided they're going to move half their staff to California and yes. and do whatever they're doing now. And this is before DC 52, or maybe they knew that was coming. And I, I, I you know, I, I understand it. I mean, they got to sell the comics itself. You know, um, it's not easy to sell uh, people's personal stories. I, you know, I applaud uh, DC and Vertigo for trying that and attempting that. Uh, you usually get those kind of books from Fantagraphics and drawn in quarterly and, and, some of the uh, uh, book publishers, uh, you know, like Abrams and, and, and those uh, those companies. So, I mean, I, I had a good run. And since then, it's been a, a definitely a tougher time for me uh, because I think people like to peg you. And I think you've talked about this in the past with me that I hopscotch around, you know, between doing print and digital and superhero and, you know, nonfiction and, and all kinds of stuff. So I think because uh, I did these, you know, memoirs uh, or semi-autobiographical books, and I'm not doing them as much. I think it's harder to kind of, quote, place me. Uh, but I'm always trying to buck that anyway, you know? Uh, sure. Between, you know, what, what we're doing to activate, and then uh, I decided, you know what? I, I love comics, and I always want to do comics. But one of the things that I discussed when uh, I uh, got into a studio with Seth Kushner and a few other people was that I also like to write. I love movies. I love music. I love to do a lot of other things. Uh, and I didn't know if, if you've had a chance to look at Trip City, but uh, Trip City was given birth at uh, 
uh, the studio that I share with Seth. Uh, it's called Hang Dye Studios over in Brooklyn. And that was a result of me kind of wanting to expand my horizons and put out something uh, to kind of, again, buck my own trends, you know, uh, and to show people that, you know, I'd love to write. Uh, I also love to curate, uh, you know, and get, get really interesting people doing what they do well and exposing that. And, 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 you know, there's this like piggyback culture. Uh, sorry if I'm rambling here, <laughs> but there's like this piggyback culture where you basically, I like what you do. You like what I do. You have an audience. I have an audience. And then if you get a bunch of people together, you know, you can expand that. And it's like a, a domino effect, you know, of sorts where you're, you're spilling into each other's ponds, you know? Um, no, I do. I, I see it on the, I see it on the website. I'm glad you guys have uh, pulled as many interesting people as you have to Trip City, and we should say it's the URL is welcome to TripCity.com. It's welcome to TripCity.com, or easier, it's TripCity.net. So whether it's okay. com or net, uh, we we have a lot of uh, uh, you know issues with that. You know, do we want a longer URL or a shorter one? And you know, do people even like uh, respect dot net, or can it be even a dot org? Who knows? You know, so. Uh, dot com was uh, we wanted to have both, but they bounced to to each other. You know. Okay, good. Okay, because yeah, I was looking for it, and I got kind of a. I mean, the the natural uh, reflex is to go to dot com. Of course. And trips and, yeah. and tripcity dot com is a different site, but no, I uh, I'm right. glad I found you guys, and I love the podcast, and and really, guys, congratulations because <laughs> thank you, thank you, it's. No, it's terrific. You guys have a lot of interesting. You're you're going to your friends, which I think is smart. But oh, yeah. also, you guys have such a diverse group of friends that um, the conversations are, are are very interesting. Right. So you know, I mean, Seth, you know, tell me what uh, what what are your ambitions with Trip City, Seth? Oh gosh, well, I mean, you know, I was doing a lot of different things online for a few years. I was doing the graphic NYC site with Chris Irving, which became the book Leading Tall Buildings, which I, I knew was ending, and I didn't know. As the book was coming to a close, there was no reason to keep the site going exactly. And I didn't really just want to do stuff about comics anyway. I mean, that's just part of you know what I like, like Dean was saying. And so I was thinking what to do next. And then obviously, Dean and I were talking to the same studio and, and all that. But, you know, I, I felt for me personally, it was about an umbrella site, like one place I could put wherever, you know, everything I wanted to do. So I was doing photos on my own site and, and profiles on GNYC and writing comics for Activate. It was just all over the place. I just, you know, if I wanted to send something a link or what I wanted, to, you know, what I'm doing, it's it was a list of links, and I feel like that's confusing. And I just, you know, let's do one multimedia thing, and it ended up being kind of a weird, I think, a weird lit magazine site, which is interesting because none of us, in the beginning at least, are really, you know, literary writer types. Although we've gotten a few along the way, we've joined up like Sandra Beasley and and people like that, but I think we're, you know, we're putting our best foot forward and we're doing just a lot of different stuff, a lot of content. We post new every weekday and we, you know, honestly thought in the beginning, we just do a little bit dribs and drabs whenever we have something, maybe one and a couple of things a week, maybe. And we didn't really realize how much we had to say, I guess. <laughs> I think we probably yeah, don't have the mouth. <laughs> it started with, yeah. uh, I, I wanted just to post stuff on Tuesdays, just one day a week, just to you know, have this small collective of, of people to put up, you know, a bunch of stuff on a Tuesday. And then, and then we talked about it and they were like, well, no, why don't you get Tuesday Dean or, or, you know, and then Seth gets Monday and, and, uh, Jeff Burant, uh, gets Wednesday. And then we have the guest spot on Thursdays and then Christmas Kevin gets Fridays. And we, we were just talking like that and just kind of spill it out across. And then we wound up for like at least six or seven months 
spilling every day with some kind of content to the point where I was getting a little worried that we were creating a deluge here because you can't expect yeah. everyone to c- click on everything we, you know, we're, we're, we're posting on there and pinting. So, you know, it's gotten to the point where I think we, we, we came out the gate and we not only said who we are, but we also discovered ourselves who we are through Trip City because, like Seth said, you know, it really challenged us to kind of put our best foot forward and to kind of, um, you know, you know, if I wanted to attempt writing, I, I feel like I've gotten better as a writer in the last seven months because when you mm-hmm. put yourself out there, John, as you do and everyone does, when you put yourself in public, you learn from that, you know, and, and you see what people respond to. And, you know, you don't become a shill for the masses, but, you know, if you're listening, you know, uh, the compliments are great, but you always learn from the criticism, you know? Certainly. Yep. Especially when it's intelligent criticism and often even better when it's unsolicited criticism, <laughs> you know? So, so is, is Activate part of Trip City or is it separate from Trip City? How does Activate fit into it? Activate's like a saying? sister to, to, the, to Trip City uh, in that, you know, um, I, you know I, I wanted to – I wasn't really doing as much comics on a regular basis. And uh, I think Seth had been doing uh, his Culture Pop series. Uh, there, his Fumetti kind of uh, profile, comics mm-hmm. profiles, and um, a couple other guys. And we decided, you know, Trip City is not a webcomics hub. It, it has it has webcomics on it, uh, but we were going to focus more on the multimedia aspect. So I decided, okay, uh, I could continue whatever comics I do for free at Activate, but instead I wanted to, like what Seth was also suggesting, have an umbrella place. I mean... You know, I've mentioned so many different names. Like, I'm in a studio now called Hang Dai. I was formerly in a studio <laughs> called Deep Six. There's Activate. There's Trip City. It, to the point where how I can't even keep track of myself, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to keep one space, and that right now is just Trip City, and then everything else, uh, the work I do is usually paid for. I mean, we all live on Facebook and Twitter. Certainly. You know? So I wanted Definitely. to have one little diverse area uh, where I could control uh, the presentations. Or help control. I understand. You know. Okay. Well, and that makes sense. And and honestly, I think uh, the one thing we're all learning from the new media experience, coming from traditional media, as we all do, is I think in this new world you have to be in several places and kind of right. uh, do do several different jobs uh, to attract different audiences, but also uh, to exploit everything that you can do to the best of your ability. And you're right. I mean, Activate is a comics hub, so it's cool to have, as you call it, this literary salon right. at Trip City to kind of do beyond comics and everything and do a, do a multimedia thing. I think it's terrific. And really, like I said, you guys have a lot of really diverse people working there, but also, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, again, pulling on your own uh, groups of friends and stuff. Seth, I'm, I, I think it's awesome that you were able to do this uh, – Photo pro- profile of, uh, you know, I mean, God, you got Mark Marin, Harvey, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan is there, Reggie Watts. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, th- that's fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I, so, so that's really great. And, you know, Seth, you were also filmmaking. I know you made that great film for Activate that you showed at the Baltimore Con and stuff like that. Right. Will we see more video from you on, uh, on Trip City? Yeah, you know, I've done a few um, short video profiles. Honestly, they, they take so long to produce that, <laughs> I that it's hard to find the time to, to you know, that, sure. yeah, because the editing takes, you know, take, I'm, I'm not an expert editor. I stayed with a friend of mine, Carlos Molina, who did the other activate films. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, he was he talked with you as well that time. So, um, Absolutely. You know, it takes it takes us weeks <laughs> to do this, to kind of work through Final Cut Pro. And even though we know it a little bit, it's just, 
you know, to do that, I'll do a lot of things, you know, for no money, <laughs> but that's just the amount of time involved. It's really hard to justify. I've got a kid and I gotta, you know, I gotta get home early every day to pick up from school. And it's just really so many hours in the day to, to make things happen. So it's in prioritizing. I've sort of let the video go for now. I hope to do more on the future. And, but, you know. and John, I wanted to yeah. also speak to something you, you recognize, which is, you know, uh, I mean, maybe it's, it's a part of being a New Yorker. Maybe it's because I'm turning 45 in a couple of weeks. That, you know, I know a lot of people, and we all know a lot of people. And when I couldn't be doing, like, two-thirds of the stuff that I'm doing now with Trip City and Activate uh, because of the diversity of, of the multimedia stuff. Like, between, listen, who knew that yeah. I'd be publishing poetry now? You know, we're publishing poetry at this place. We're doing short films. Um you know, uh, reports and chronicles of events and, and, you know, meeting people. When you, when you do meet people and you like what they do, I can now say, Hey, we have a place. If you want to put something up and you'd be shocked or maybe not how many people like are shy or don't like know how to like, what do you do to put that thing up there? And like, I, I guess because we've been doing it for a while, we find it to be very easy to do, you know, I mean, it takes a little bit of time, but you, yeah. you, you know, you don't have to be too smart to figure out, but it's just about people, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it's like, I didn't learn how to drive a car until I was uh, 40 years old and not because I, I didn't have the uh, ability. I played video games. I could figure out how to drive a car. It's more because I'm a New Yorker and I took public transportation and, sure. I, and you know, I didn't want, I just, it never, it never occurred to me to, to get a driver's license until I was about 40 years old. So I think it's the same thing sometimes with the internet is that some people feel like it's this other great, you know, huge beast. In a lot of ways it is because it's the Wild West, you know. Like, how do you Absolutely. dip your toe into the Wild West and, and try to make an impact at all? And, you know, you do have to follow a lot of the, the you know, what the next hip thing is. And, you know, I, I get, you know, invitations to stuff all the time where I, it's starting to, you know, I'm starting to show my age by going, what are the kids looking at these days? You know, I, I have no idea. <laughs> You know, and now that we're going through this uh, paradigm shift between print and, you know, web and digital and learning that, and I know you discussed that a lot on your shows. I mean, you know, another thing we got to do was, uh, like you brought up, was the podcast interviews. Like me and Seth and, and Christmas Cabbage and Jeffrey Durant, you know, who basically curate the podcast as well as Trip City. Like none of us are sitting around, like, you know, polishing our, you know, chops at how to talk online. So it was, it was like professional shows like yours, John, or like, Mark Marin with WTF and, and going, you know what? These guys have really good conversations and, and, and they allow mistakes ha to happen in conversation it, because it's, it's just a dialogue that, that a couple of people yep. are having at a time. And if you can like get over the fear of messing up, then we're okay. And, and that's what it comes down to is being able to just, you know, find a recording device hit record and see what happens. And that's all we're doing with these podcasts, you know? Well, well, they're very good. They're very entertaining. Well, and, and yes, I think, you. well, and you, and you had the instinct, you get it exactly, man. It's, it's just a conversation. Right. And, and, and I think it's terrific. And again, you, you're finding really interesting people to talk to. Uh, you beat me to Becky Cloonan. And I think that's <laughs> great. And that's, yeah. you know, she's, and I know she's a local girl and everything. That's very cool. <laughs> and I've been, and it's, it's a shame. I've been kicking myself that I'm like, Oh, I got to get Becky on. And, and I'm glad you guys, but I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I'm, I'm still not going to have Becky on in the future and stuff. But like Larry O'Neill, oh, you know, Larry O'Neill, he was at the studio that's... today. He was at the studio. He's a guy I grew up with. Who, as, yes. as anybody listening to your podcast right now, uh, uh, Denny O'Neill is his father, the the infamous, you know, Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Iron Man writer. You know, Denny O'Neill yep. and editor, and, and 
you know, he's a legend. And I went to uh, high school with Larry. And, uh, you know, he he got a gig uh, working at Howard, Chag- uh, Howard Chagan's assistant in 1985. And then I got a gig uh, next door uh, becoming Bill Finkevich's, uh assistant. And then eventually I moved on over to uh, Howard to become Howard's second assistant and also occasionally help uh, Walt Timerson. So I was working yep. on, like, Thor and, and uh, you know, American Flag and New Mutants and Electra Assassin. Uh, as a 17-year-old turning 18 in 1985. Uh, but a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was housed with Larry O'Neill. And, <laughs> you know, and he went on to become a filmmaker, and he's currently writing a, a pilot for a show that he wants to sell. But, yeah, I mean, we, we have access to a lot of different curious people. Uh, and and right now we live in a culture where we're all sitting at our, our tables or our tables or whatever, or we're downloading and plugging things in because we want to hear the discourse of life. We want to yes. hear how are people doing what they do because there isn't a template. You know, all these yep. books, these how-to and, you know, for dummies and all this stuff. I mean, the, the, they'll sell because people are curious. How do you get to where you're at? And, you know, it, it's, it's a struggle, uh, and, and you do it because you have to. And then you figure it out from there how to do it, you know. And well, the, that's what Tristan is also about, you know. The, the great secret, though, is, and I know I've said this to you before, Dean, uh, and I probably have said this before on Word Balloon, I, I, I spoke to a class of kids at DePaul University, journalism kids, and I said the same thing. We are in the same boat as the big networks, the big publishers. Nobody knows how to uh, handle this new media frontier. As right. you say, it's the, it is the Wild West. And so you're right. Um, as much as we're all struggling and finding our way, it's also to our advantage that we could be a little bit more nimble mm. than the, the, the big monolithic mm. corporations can right. be and experiment a little bit more. But also, really, I, I think a lot of us are willing to look under the hood of each other's stuff and say, hey, this is how I'm doing it. This is how he's doing it. Let's right. compare it. Let's learn from each other. Right. And that is, the I think, it, it's exciting to listen to. But I also think that, you know, in the long run, all of us content creators are going to, you know, benefit from it. And right. also... I, I do believe that it, it is very democratizing and we are able to compete in our own way with the big monolithic companies and, and, doing and our own thing. And it's also about putting your money, putting your uh, money where your mouth is. I mean, look, look, look who, who has the biggest mouth in comics, Mark Wade. And God bless him for thrill bent. <laughs> that guy, he's like, he talks a lot. And I love Mark Wade. I mean, he's awesome. I love him when he's happy. I love him when he's angry. He's highly entertaining and really intelligent, and, and he's walked the dog and experienced so much. And yep. I'm really excited for him to to have launched Thrill Bent. And, and again, put money where his mouth is. You know, he's going to talk the talk. He's going to walk it, too, and, and see what happens. And what's great is I think what we all do as nimble, you know, content makers is we watch the big companies to see what is working, what isn't working, and let them, you know, fail and succeed and then try to hop on and see what works, you know, for us as well. And, sure. you know, and Mark is doing the same thing. Like, you know, again, awesome. See, you know, let's see what you do, you know, and, and activate's in an interesting place right now. Simon Fraser has become de facto uh, leader of activate. And I'm curious to see what he does with it. And then, you know, there are the other, you know, the, the guys at transmission X. And of course we have our comicsology. I mean, basically, so, comicsology is the iTunes of comics, you know, and, and that's awesome. And, you know, there's the beta testing, and then there's, you know, there's VHS and beta, and then finally VHS 1, you know. Uh, that's right. 
but they do a lot of work, the guys at Comixology, you know? Um, so, I mean, there's our iTunes for comics, and that's cool. But, yeah, to, to have people help out with the formatting of this and, and figure out as our iPads and phones, you know, start to become our delivery systems a little bit more so. I mean, maybe not me. I don't know. I can't speak for Seth. I still, every Wednesday, go buy print comics, and I don't read comics necessarily on – well, I don't even have a phone that can read comics like that. But, uh, as you know, I couldn't even get onto Skype. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but Seth, I think, looked at little more things on his phone. I, I do, but I, I buy weekly comics also. It's funny for uh, being, you know, a, a guy who's sort of a, in a lot of ways a pioneer in web comics with Activate. You, you're really quite the luddite in a lot of ways too. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a weird thing. I don't think people know that about you. But, um, I surround myself yeah, with really old, smart uh, people. <laughs> well, Dean, yeah, I, 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 I noticed you have to call them on an old flip phone. <laughs> I, I saw too a couple of weeks ago, Dean, at that. Uh, at that symposium, and I forget where it happened, but where Bergen Street Comics kind of admitted oh, yeah. that outside of their people who have pull lists and have asked for before Watchmen, they're not going to carry it yeah. generally in their store. And honestly, I saw your response, and I understood where you were coming from, and yeah. I'll let you kind of give your response to that prospect. Basically, I read online, I think it was at the Beat, Heidi McDonald's The Beat, that there was a report on uh, at MoCA, for a, a, a retailer's yeah. panel, and I think that's where uh, Tucker Stone, who is um, representing Bourbon Street Comics, a uh, great guy. He also does his own writing uh, and criticism about comics, which are hilarious often. Uh, cool. But he uh, revealed at this panel that I read in the report at The Beat, which was that they were uh, that Bourbon Street Comics was not going to be pre-ordering uh, before any of the before Watchmen comics on their own, meaning they weren't going to necessarily have any of the books unless you, their own customer, or whoever came in and wanted to buy it and pre-order it. They would absolutely honor the customer's, sure. uh, uh, you know, desire for for the. But what what two things happened for me was I I got a little I got a little bugged out by that. I was like, wait a second. Number one, I'm learning about this online, and I go to the, that comic shop every week. That's my local comic shop right now, and I never heard this from from the people at Broker Street Comics, which kind of bummed me out. Uh, maybe I need to be a little more aware. Uh, and and then my response was, or uh, my my global response was, wait a second. And it never occurred to me, John. And this is where, uh, maybe not that I'm a luddite. Maybe I'm an idiot. Uh, that well, of course, a comic shop or any store of any kind cannot order everything that's offered. I understand that, and I understand sure. that they're basically curated. It's how I've had to put it in my head. But I thought, well, at least, you know, uh, I'm so spoiled by New York City having everything, right? Like, oh, my God, you can get everything here. Uh, I assumed that, like, a Jim Hanley's Universe, Forbidden Planet, Bergen Street Comics, you know, back in the day, Rocket Ship, and then St. Mark's Comics, you know, the ones that I, yep. I go to, uh, Midtown Comics, that uh, they would get basically everything and then overorder it for, what, for what's called shopping. And shopping, I put in quotes because shopping <laughs> is you go, you check something out, you flip through it, or you, you, you put it on, you wear it, you don't see if it fits. And if you like it, you buy it. And if you don't like it, you don't buy it, you put it back on the rack, right? And right. I think what's starting to happen more, more and more is that, uh, you know, comic shops, because uh, it's tougher times, I, I assume, um, are ordering less. But in this case, Burger Street and I think a few other comic shops are actually taking a stance and saying no. I'm not going to order this series based on, uh, for I guess, et- 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 for ethical terms, you know, like 
Yeah, uh, what's going on with Alan Moore's not not wanting there to be sequels? In, you know, and right. Watchmen and DC going ahead and doing it no matter what Alan thinks, and that's. And John, I had to think to... about that for a second too. I said, "Wait a second, okay." So we all know about Jack Kirby and and a lot of creators who've created the Marvel and DC universes and and other comics, and and I thought about it like, okay, so Alan Moore actually stated, "I don't want there to be any more Watchmen comics." So at least that we can at least look at that and think about that, you know, and how that. You know, do you respect that? Do you not? And and everyone has a, their their right to to you know think about that, of course, and and, and make a decision. Um, then it made me think. Well, wait, did Jack Kirby ever say, "Don't go buy a Fantastic Four, don't go buy an Avengers comic"? I mean, the Avengers movie just came out, and uh, you know, it's a blockbuster, one million dollars. What a yep. week later, and uh, and uh, you know, I think a lot. Then there was that thing about if you go buy a ticket to see Avengers, please go. Uh, pay the same amount of money you pay for that ticket for uh, what's the other initiative? I'm sorry, hero um, the hero, hero initiative. Yeah. Um, and what is the hero initiative, uh, uh, Seth? Again, can you explain it in one sentence. It, uh, I, I, I believe uh, creators and creators' families. Yeah, right. Creators yeah. and creators' families. And and I That's thought right. about that too. I was like, wow. So I'm gonna have some kind of crisis here. Where like, do I go see an Avengers movie? And then do I? And then I don't have that much money. And then do I go, you know, and put money towards uh, Heroes Initiative? And I, as much as I'd like to, that's really hard for me. And, and I became very selfish because I wanted to see the Avengers movie, you know. Uh, and even though there's all this dialogue about whether you should or shouldn't. And then, you know, and why, why is it the Avengers movie? Why wasn't the Fantastic Four movie the movie that, you know, or the Spider-Man movie? Or 20 years ago, another movie. And, and, and I guess... My thought about it because I don't think Jack Kirby ever would have said, "Hey kids, don't go read those comics anymore because I got hurt by them." You know, um, I don't think he would have said that. I think he respected, uh, even though he got, you know, hurt by the business of it. I think he respected the fan base a lot. You know, um, and I'm still, I'm still in a quandary about the Alan Moore issue about Watchmen. I, I fully respect his feelings about it. Uh, and then remember, it takes it took two people made Watchmen, you know, uh, not Very including true. not including the colorist and the letter and and the editor, right but too. you know, Dave Gibbons. And I don't think he's going around saying don't buy Watchmen. So I'm conflicted. No, I understand, and I have the same problem. And I also would take it a step further too, especially coming from broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's. I understand. Uh, I certainly understand Alan Moore's position, and I absolutely respect him. I also live in uh, the business world where people sign bad deals all the time, and that's not an excuse. I signed a bad deal bad. recently. I mean, like <laughs> knowingly, you know. I mean, knowingly, I signed not a great deal because I wanted to continue working in comics, and so I, you know, I I bit the bullet, and and like I'm confused because. If part of the issue is that Alan Moore signed a contract that said if they stopped selling Watchmen, it would revert rights back to him or, some, or to him That's and Dave Gibbons, right? But if the comic is selling, it's not like they forced Watchmen down people's throats. People loved Watchmen. So how do you stop selling something that's popular? Well, I said the same thing on this podcast and said no right. one was expecting Moby Dick. Right. And Gone with the Wind. That's what they came up with. Right. And... You know, I, I again. I think the best revenge of a of a bad deal is living well, right. and I and I I appreciate Moore's ethics and and sticking to his guns and. Uh, but I also think that he could have uh, afforded himself 
some very big paydays mm-hmm. to allow him to create uh, what he continues to do. And it's it's my understanding that he was kind of not in the best financial position a year or two ago. And that didn't make sense to me. Because, huh. again, I know he still gets royalties from the books, which he is absolutely owed and deserves. But that's the thing. I just think that there would have been a, a nicer, calmer way to kind of not not only write this bad deal off, but still make money off of it. And and I know money is not the important thing to Alan Moore, and I certainly don't want to right, try right. to get to his head, but I just have seen other examples of people who have been able to say, okay, I made this bad deal. I'm going to work on these 10 other or 20 other projects. Right. And he will always, much like Orson Welles, be the man who wrote Watchmen, the man who did Citizen Kane, right. and use that reputation right. As and as he still can, but right. but that's the thing. I, I think he could just find a way. On the other hand, the other thing I've always liked to say, and I was kind of proud of this quote. It's almost like you you're in a marriage, you build a pool for your house, you get divorced, and every time somebody comes up to you for an interview, it's hey, by the way, I saw your wife the other day. That pool is fantastic, right. and that's got to get under your skin. After oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, and, I, so I kind of understand. No, no, I mean, and, and Watchmen will will be on his gravestone. But the thing that's great yeah. about Alan Moore is that he's actually written better stories since Watchmen, and had other accolades. Uh, the thing that's interesting about you're talking about finances, and I, I don't know his finances or what he needs. You know, you never know what you need money for. But uh, you know, he has also rejected, I believe, the movie monies and given them back yes, to the has. artists and stuff like that. So he's, he's definitely a, a, a man of his word. You know, uh, very principled person, and uh, you know, and, and principle it might even be the eighth deadly sin. You know, because it can really <laughs> yeah. backfire on you at times and. I, I'm not, I wish, I mean, I have my own principles and, and I know it's backfired on me and I burn bridges myself with my own, I mean, we all do, you know, Absolutely. so this is just a lot more public and because he's, you know, famous yes. and, and a fantastic yes. writer and, and so on and so forth. So it's a conflicting thing. It's, it's more, I mean, not to, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not jumping on the creators of before watching because I think they got some fantastic creators and I'm, and they get to play with some cool toys. But, you know, it's not necessary, but nothing that's, you know, fiction is, you know, it's all, it's all <laughs> fantasy, really. I mean, yep. Yep. if you think about the origin of comics, is there were a lot of illustrators and writers who wanted to write novels and do paintings and get into, you know, Life magazine that, you know, either couldn't or uh, needed to make money on the side or, you know, or you had your Jack Kirby's of the world who just were comics, you know, and comics were kind of like, all right, I'll do this other kind of bastard art form, you know, of telling stories and illustrating and for a certain amount of money. And, and they basically invented the form, these illustrators and writers. And we, years later, are the products, we are the fan base that are still creating comics. So all comics, mostly, I think, at least for print or the ones that, you know, um, are perpetuating the franchises, are really, really comes from fans, you know, um, it's the Kate Beatons of the world and the ones who kind of like almost never grew up reading any of the, the traditional comics or the superhero stuff or the, you know, that are, that are doing their digital comics that, you know, uh, based on history and, and that kind of stuff. That is the next wave of like original cartoonists, I, I believe, you know. Um, I would agree. You know, in, a, in yes. a way, you know, because, again, I know that some of them like never picked up a print comic in their life. And now you can see a lot of the print comics in, on the web. Um, so you can come across them, but there's a whole other world out there. People make comics that without the history of comics. 
You know? I agree. And and Seth, this is an opportunity to get into <laughs> leaping tall buildings. Sure. Right. And, I, and and let's talk about that because. Uh, really, you and Chris Serving have uh, put together a great volume. Thank you. And as you say, it w- now it started, and I do remember reading some of these interviews online at your guys' uh, blog. What was the blog again? It was, uh, it was NYC Graphic Novelist, plural.com, Graphic NYC for short, but that was the uh, web address. We kept that going for four years um, since the very beginning. Uh, it was always supposed to be just, um, you know, here's the place to put these up, you know, and eventually we'll collect them. But it, it, the book was always the... Uh, you know, the final product we were hoping for, never knowing, you know, at, while working on this, if we ever get the thing published or not. It was never never a definite thing in publishing. So it kind of worked out for us, thankfully, but it was a long road, you know, to get this well, product. <laughs> that. Well, and yeah. and also I, I have to say that, you know, I remember some of these uh, blog interviews and stuff, and in a lot of ways, I mean, I, I do think this volume is, is just amazing. I mean, you, you've got your beautiful photo, photography in here. You've got a great original art from a lot of these guys as well. Yeah. And then, you know, Chris's interviews. But uh, the blog really did have much more, you know, in-depth. I mean, in some cases, you could almost write a book or a novella of uh, some of those uh, individual creators as well. It's true. Chris did very long interviews. Um, sometimes he sat with people for hours, and, and he didn't, you know, he didn't edit a lot. A lot of people had great stuff to say. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Online, you know, it's all up there for free. If you want to look, want to look at it, it it's really um, kind of the oral history of comics, if you go through the whole thing together. It, I mean, the, it, in the, a way, the, yeah. um, well, as you say, in a way, Seth, what you're saying is that uh, even though Graphic NYC was what launched and created an interest for uh, yeah. publishers to eventually put a condensed, truncated version of what you mm-hmm. guys did into print form, you know, and beautifully packaged and designed by Eric Skillman. Eric Skillman, amazing. Yep. Uh, but what what it's done is it's boomeranged back to the website to be kind of like the DVD extras, for lack of a better term, of the book online. Um, in, in, in a sense, they operate differently. I mean, the, the, the online, they're individual profiles. And the whole right. purpose of the book, you know, the, the concept was... To, uh, to put them together in an order and, and create a narrative so that you actually can right. read from front to back and, and get the entire history of comics, at least from our perspective. It's not you know, the last word on comics, obviously, but um, you know, they, it, it does operate as a, as a very individualized thing, the book, different from the site. And, and the profiles changed, you know, some of the edits, they changed quite a bit. Um, sometimes Chris went back and reinterviewed people because, you know, people we talked to in the beginning, you know, four years ago, their career was totally different, you know, when it was time to turn the thing in. So, a number of folks with did second interviews, um, right. which, were, which are not online. So it, it is very different. I, I think you know, for someone who's really a fan and really wants to learn about, you know, some of the characters that are that are involved in the history, you could actually look at both, and and, and I think take them both, you know, in their in their own form as different things. So, well, as you uh, say, it's collect it's collected in a very. Uh, historically narrative way, uh, starting with Siegel and Schuster, yeah. but to get, I mean, man, what, what fortune to be able to speak to Joe Simon and Jerry Robinson, for example, two recent guys that have passed yeah. and, uh, and, and get their thoughts before it was too late. Uh, Harvey Kurtzman, Al Jaffe, Joe Kubert, Jules Pfeiffer, always an incredible person yeah. to speak to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is really, and then, and then going literally to, you know, the Silver Age and the Bronze Age and then the modern era, but then also to uh, include so many uh, people from the independent scene. Of course, yeah. Dean's in the book, yep. but, you know, you got Chris Ware, you got Paul Pope, James Strum, uh, Sturm, excuse me, yeah. uh, Black- Becky Cloonan, Jeffrey Brown, Dash Shaw, and then that whole section of the digital generation as well at the end. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I, I think it's it's tough to, like, pick a moment 
and and say okay you know this far and no and no further but i really think you guys have been able to not only you know start at the beginning but even really be representative of what's going on right now and that's pretty tough to do given how long it takes to really put a book together and and you know get it out there in the marketplace in time for it still to be relevant yeah that's a good point i think you know again we we did once once we were finished with the production we we did a lot of work um you know in the last few months last summer actually before we turned the thing into the publisher just you know, up, updating and, and making and keeping it timely. Like the last section, like you mentioned, the digital section, really came together um, pretty much at the last minute, and we, and we knew we were going to wait to sort of finish that part. You know, we had a lot of people covered from there, but we kept slots open because um, things were changing so quickly and, and still are. But um, I like to say, in terms of you know, people from the Silver Age and like you mentioned, Joe Simon and Jerry Robinson, I I, I feel like I, I I somehow managed to uh, to sit at the, the feet of giants and and hear these amazing stories and, and, and be in their company. And, you know, I, I started a little late, you know, in, in this project or had the idea a little late with Dean in that, uh, you know, I didn't get to, to meet or, um, or capture people like Will Eisner and Jack Kirby and, and a few others, but I did get, you know, Joe Simon and Robinson and then Pete Carr and, and uh, even Dwayne McDuffie who passed away you know, way too young yep. last year. And just yeah. a lot of great folks. And it was, yeah, it was really an amazing thing. You know, this project is, it was sort of, I would say all consuming for a while, but, but just the experiences were, were fantastic. So, yeah. Well, it's a tremendous book now. Thank is you. it, is it, in, is it in stores yet or when is it going to be in stores? It is in stores as of May 8th. So it's available everywhere now. Amazon.com, uh, Barnes and Noble, places like that. Sure. And comic Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, it's a list price of $35, and yeah. i got to tell you, I mean, you're getting a lot of information and a lot of great art, uh, both your ph- photography, but again, great examples of a lot of these creators as well. And uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic package. So there's I no, there's nothing like it. I mean, there really is nothing like it. And it, no, tr- it right. truly is a love letter to the history of American comics, that's uh, right. beautifully packaged. No, that's great, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, well, and like I said, I, I read a lot of Chris's profiles in the past as well. Some of the more uh, controversial ones, I, I, you know, it's uh, the the uh, the uh, profile that he did with um, Carmine Infantino, yeah. which yeah. which was a great interview. <laughs> and don't get me, hey man, they're crotchety people out there. Yes, don't worry yes, about it's it. It's actually not in the book, <laughs> Carmine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I kind of figured, and, and again, I, I remembered kind of the back and forth that happened after yeah. after you guys you know put the thing on the blog and believe me i mean i i've uh, i've had the same thing happen to me in sports radio oh yeah so uh, oh yeah absolutely man so don't you know good to hear. It, it, it yeah well it happens i mean what are you going to do but no chris is a really good interviewer and uh and i think uh really you know reveals a lot of interesting insight from these guys and i and i think uh like i like you just said i think it's great to maybe start with the book and then really uh as as Dino said, go to the blog, man, and, and get and get into the meat of some of these yeah, things as yeah, well. Yeah. So I, that's why we ramble as much as we do on Word Balloon, and I and I do, especially recently, a lot of two and three hour episodes. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, there, there there's never enough. No, that's and, great. Uh, and, Seth, Seth actually pointed <laughs> that out too. It was like, wow, these Word Balloons have gotten longer, but they're always great <laughs> and really meaty, and you know, everyone's so worried about our attention spans. You know what? What's great about a podcast is just be able to turn it on and put it in the background and then. You can even listen to it twice for the stuff you missed. You know, I mean, you get distracted or whatever, but it's really great to have these 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 you know uh, dialogues happening. Yeah, totally. Um, and John, you, you uh, your shows keep me company on several uh, subway rides back and forth to the studio for a week, so I uh, <laughs> I take advantage. So thank you. 
that's terrific. And, and like I say, I'm really happy that, that Trip City is now a part of that as well. And you guys are just generating more of this stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, no, really, hats off to both of you. Thank so you. what's you. Uh, what, what's coming up? What's going on, uh, you know, I mean, what's happening next? Okay, uh, Seth, you want to, you wanna, what's going on with you? Oh, well, I don't know what's going on with you, Gene. No, um, see, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so um, I, I, I personally have several things going at, at Trip City. Um, uh, what do I do? Well, I guess uh, the main thing I'm working on is it's, it's called Schmuck, and it's, uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's about me <laughs> or an avatar. Right, but so you know. Right, what you know. I, I, I know schmuckiness, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I've got some stories. So um, uh, it started out as a, it's, it's a, I call it a semi-autobiographical uh, comics neurotica. And it's uh, the 12 chapters. Um, the first three already up on Trip City right now. Each one is drawn by different artists. Um, we've got some great people doing them. Uh, the first was Kevin Colden. I've got uh, from, uh, from Fishtown. Um, Bobby Timoney from Night Owls did one. Very cool. uh, Sean Pryor from the um, Peacock Project did one. Upcoming, Lynn Purvis is doing one. Um, who else? Uh, uh, Ryan Alexander Tanner from To Teach, doing one. So lots, lots of good artists doing them, and each one is a different um, schmucky experience from my uh, schmucky past from about ten years ago, and uh, <laughs> um, and it's been great doing that. And then at the same time, I've been doing a pro series called The Schmuck Diaries, which is um, uh, <laughs> which every other week past the uh, the comics. And your your wife is very proud of you, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, she's, just, she's bragging to her friends right now in the other, yeah, in the other room, sure, on the phone. Um, <laughs> and Schmuck Diaries are a kind of a companion piece to the, to the comic, and they're, they're prose pieces, and they're written very first-person narratively, and I think they're kind of funny and sometimes sad. <laughs> and it's all about my life, you know, before I met my wife, and, and, and dating, and kind of um, sort of a coming-of-age story in, in, in Brooklyn, New York, in the early part of this century. So I guess that's the best description of it. Very, very cool. Uh, I like it. And, uh, uh, and Dean, what, okay. uh, what, I mean, right. no, is there more stuff that I want to, well, I don't want to step on? Yeah. I mean, with, no, no, with no. Uh, Trip City, I, I don't really have a plan. I am more knee jerk reacting to stuff. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have a series I'm doing necessarily. I, I'll do some prose, some essays, uh, occasionally a comic, uh, yeah. more along with Seth, we're kind of creating and curating the site. Uh, and once in a while adding content of our own, but really it takes a lot of work just to get, you know, people doing their thing for us and, or, you know, identifying new stuff from people and wooing them to be a part of the thing, you know, and, and it's a very qualified curation. In other words, you know, it's not like a free for all. Hey, everybody, let's be one big happy family. I mean, we're putting up stuff that we like and, and, you know, and are scrutinizing it. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, let's see, I recently did a Godzilla comic, uh, which was bizarre. And, and, and to, uh, I, when, I, when I got uh, the call from the editor slash writer of the story, Bobby Kernow from IDW, uh, I said to him, what, what in my work ever made you think I could draw Godzilla? And he said, oh, I love the way you do Harvey Pekar. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, how does that have any... But then I kind of understood what he meant, you know? Like, he's kind of a dinosaur. Like, I don't know. I mean, so, and then when he told me the story, I was like, oh, my God, how could I not do this story? I mean, it's basically an older daredevil is uh, recruited to come out of ret- retirement uh, to basically climb Godzilla's back uh, and to excavate some DNA and find out what's on him and go from tail to head. It takes the entire story to, to climb from his tail to his head uh, while Godzilla basically, you know, 
uh, walks through and destroys a village and fights a spider monster named Kumanga and all this stuff. And I was like, I have to do this. So that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I actually, I don't think it's been announced, but it should be announced soon. And Steve Wacker kind of gave me a heads up saying that this could be happening soon. Uh, he commissioned me to write and draw an eight page Spider-Man story that oh, I, fantastic. Think, I think will be coming out in the 50th anniversary in August. Uh, as part of the big 50th anniversary wave of comics, Spider-Man comics. Wonderful. Uh, I hope he doesn't beat me up for saying that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really great little story. Um, uh, uh, what, he was looking at issue number 50 of Spider-Man, you know, the famous one where Peter Parker is walking away from his costume for the first time, you know, he's quitting. Spider-Man no more, absolutely. Spider-Man yes. no more. And he says to me, Dean, uh, what happened to the costume that night? So I, <laughs> I've written a story. Uh, and, That's a great uh, idea. So that'll be coming out soon, I, I hope, fingers crossed. And... <laughs> Uh, another thing I, that's not been announced officially, you're getting two uh, golden nuggets here. Um, I like it. Basically, uh, are you familiar with a band called The Doors? Of course. So, <laughs> a little uh, bit. Heard of the, door about <laughs> the Doors is putting out an app for The Doors, and they asked uh, me through uh, their producers and, and, and friends to draw a uh, six-page comic called the the uh, the the incident in Miami or the Miami incident, but the doors in Miami, the famous. Uh, how do I? We, can we say naughty things on your podcast? Any, you can say anything you want. Absolutely. Okay. Basically, when he supposedly whipped out his dick. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the official story uh, according to the doors. Uh, so. I've drawn this six-page story that will be on the app as part of an ancillary uh, part, you know, uh, of, of the – God, I'm such well, an old guy. I'm saying app. I'm going to say application. I don't, I don't do apps. I don't have apps. I, <laughs> I pimp the digital wave, and I don't even know how to play with it. Um, well, how did, you, how did you get this story? Was this – Oh, I, a writer of the story called me uh, – um, actually, no. Sorry. Charlie Kochman uh, of Abrams, I think, recommended me for the guy – who was writing it wanted to work with me. I forget which way it went, but uh, it was a nice little coup and a gig to take on. And so I did that. And I, I believe that app will be available any minute now. I, they were supposed to come out, you know, now. So I did that. You blurred, you blurred for a second, Dean. Who's Charlie Kochman again? Oh, Charlie Kochman is uh, the uh, publisher of, of, you know, Abrams comics art, you know? Um, I... uh, yeah. You know, the, uh, what's their big uh, the diary of a wimpy kid is their big hit yeah yeah okay so, okay yeah now i know what's yeah, yeah. at abrams yeah at abrams Very- so um and then um currently working with ben mccool on oh. a comic called the five dimensional adventures of dirk davies which is a time traveling detective uh for uh the company shifty look which uh they they're doing that comics based on or loosely based on uh, uh, games, the video games uh, uh, created by Namco in the 1980s, the early 80s. And Dirk Davies is basically a revisioning uh, of the game Warp and Warp, which uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that game back in 1981. But uh, (laughs) there was no real characters or story at all. (laughs) So uh, Ben came up with this really great, fun story, and and I've been drawing it... um, and kind of accessing my early Kirby Ditko kind of uh, influences and just having a, a blast with it. 
and we're playing with that. In fact, I'll be at uh, something called the MCM Expo in London uh, from May 25th to the 27th, uh, coming up soon. And, uh, you know, shucking and jiving and hustling and trying to get a paycheck and working on, you know, this and that. I'm, I'm all over the place. That's really cool, man. I wanted to ask, I haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast where uh, you had a PCAR panel with yes. Joyce and, 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 and several others. Uh, can you tell me, and I, I want to direct people to the podcast to get the full story, uh, but but also wh- where I imagine you might have some future projects with the PCAR project. Am I correct? I mean, uh, uh, not necessarily. I've talked to oh, Joyce okay. about future, you know, she has other, you know, she was co-writing a couple other graphic novels with Harvey and has to complete those. So right. I don't exactly know what she's going to be doing with that. I know that the, the Harvey P. Cars Cleveland, uh, drawn by uh, Joseph Remnant, just came out recently, and it's a beautiful yes. book. It's unbelievable to look at. Uh, and it's a real, real book about Cleveland. And what's really interesting about that effort is that the first, like, third or first half of the book it's kind of like a real true overview of the history of Cleveland, uh, according to Harvey Picar. And you're kind of going, where's Harvey? I miss Harvey. And when he starts walking through, he gets born, he's walking through. I was like, wow, this makes the perfect kind of like, uh, you know, not even sequel, but kind of like brother to the quitter. Cause the quitter I always thought was, and is, uh, is the origin of Harvey Picar. And yes. Cleveland is like the brother to that book, you know, and Very cool. it, it's really cool. And when he, when he comes back up and it was kind of like, uh, not bittersweet, but just kind of a little misty eye making when, you know, I haven't heard his voice in a little while and to see him kind of like doing his thing, you know, as, as drawn by Joseph Remnant, uh, it was, it was really cool to read, you know, to sit with an old friend as it were. You know, I understand. So very cool. But hey, yeah, we'll I see was, what uh, happens with future any kind of PCAR stuff. I mean, I'm talking to Joyce. We'll see what happens. You know. Okay. And I'm and I'm really sorry that Born to Death didn't get picked up. Because oh, thanks. I, yeah, we we're bummed too, and and I, we don't really exactly know why. I, I think what happened is that listen, I, I don't do <laughs> I don't have an iPhone. I don't have an iPad. I don't have HBO either. Okay, sue me. Um, <laughs> but with that. I, what I've discovered is that HBO's big night is a Sunday night, okay? And yes. that's when they yes. have their shows. So the first two years of Board of Death was on a Sunday night, and then they bumped it over to Monday night. And apparently, that's a really hard night, uh, even in this world of DVRs and recording and seeing things, you know, and HBO Go and all the different terms and ways of watching your shows. Um, a lot of things that get kicked over off of Sunday you know, don't always make it. And I think what happened is that they had about seven new shows in the hopper and there's only so many shows that can continue producing for that Sunday night slot. That I think what happened is ultimately, even though it had a strong fan base, uh, I want to say over a million five of fans, uh, for some reason they had to cut three shows and bored to death along with, I believe hung and another show, uh, got the ax, uh, and not even necessarily for quality or even ratings reasons. It, it, who knows why? Nobody knows why. It's it's a bummer. Uh, obviously, I'm really good pals with Ames, Jonathan Ames, the creator of the show. And yeah. uh, let's just put it this way: I don't think Board of Death is dead yet. So. Oh, good. I hope uh, I hope it finds a new home. That's I terrific. Think if I it's hope not it even a home. It might even be a movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All right. Oh, fantastic. All right, so, well, we'll see what happens. That's yeah, good. Oh, cool, see what happens. And I know he's working on a screenplay for something else as well right now, 
so uh, hopefully that'll get sold and we can talk about that at some point. All right. Well, yeah. you know, and you're going to have to help me. And you've tried in the past, and I think it's just been Jonathan's schedule, and especially when the show was oh, going right. on, that it was so tough to pin him down. Alex Segura, when your guy's alcoholic was just coming out, right. came to me at the New York convention and uh, said, listen, I know you don't know who Jonathan Ames is, right. but trust me, he's going to be big. He's doing this book with Dean. And luckily he said he's doing, he was doing the book with you. And I'm like, oh, well, if he's doing the book with Dean, then I'm comfortable <laughs> kind of going blind and talking to him on video right. for five right. minutes. Oh, so great. we had this nice – yeah, we had this nice little conversation a lot about you and stuff and certainly about the book. But, yeah, it just made it easier. Right. And then I found out that, you know, he his love of boxing and yes. his actual participation in boxing. Yes. And I'm like, well, Jesus, I want to talk to this guy more. So uh, – right. Right, right, yeah, right, hopefully, right. hopefully we'll be able to pin him down and get him on a war balloon. Oh, eventually. that'd be but great. Regardless, that'd yeah, regardless. Great. No, I, I love, I really did love Bored to Death. I, as I told you before, man, when when someone plays you on TV, they're supposed to be better looking than you, <laughs> and, and, and that's I didn't understand the whole Zach Alphanakis thing, but it was very funny. Well, the, the only thing is, it was very funny, and 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 honestly, I mean, if you've met me or even heard this podcast for five minutes. You know how very different uh, the the TV <laughs> version of me was, uh, which was almost like nothing at all. <laughs> well, if I can add to a little something right there, you know, he didn't act like you in any way, but but there were parts of his story that came from your life. Oh, directly. <laughs> I would, yeah. I would, yeah, I would watch it and I say, "Oh my God, that's Dean." It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that was great. And also, I mean, I'm a huge George Plimpton fan, and I saw as uh, part of the as part of the composite that was Ted Danson's character. Unbelievable. The, the best thing that came out of Board of Death was Ted Danson's character, honestly. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you, man. No, he really was. He was the core and, and kind of the Kramer of your guy's show, even more than right. Calvin X was. So, right. no, I agree. I thought it was it was a lot of fun watching Ted Danson in that kind of role. It, uh, the, one of the greatest, I mean, since Cheers, I think, his best role, you know. I would so. agree. Yeah, certainly blew Becker out of the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a reinvention. Yeah, what a sweet guy. I mean, getting to hang with it, hang out with these guys, and just—I don't know, man. It's just a, a wonderful life, you know. When you when you're creative and just you know mixing it up with these different folks is always fun. Very very cool. And yeah. uh, and Seth, like I said, I love that uh, Activate movie that you guys made Thank for you. for the Activate thing. And I hope that that means. And I know that it's time consuming, <laughs> but that that maybe some sort of. Uh, you know, future video projects for you, maybe a little bit long form and stuff. It'd, it'd be great to see in the future. Well, Seth, I don't know if you want to talk about yeah. it, but the the thing that, you know, I'm helping a, a little bit edit with you and Chris Miskevich, I don't well, know if you want to give, give too much away, but but go ahead, Seth. You can, we you can, can talk, talk about, about it a little bit. So so we talked before about, I you know, that um the uh, Fumetti project I had going in Activate, which is also on, on Trip City, where I did um uh, photo comics type profiles of people like Ames and, and Mark Maron and people like that. So, it really gave me a hankering to um, to uh, create some kind of a uh, dramatized um, uh, fumetti type thing where it would be actors acting out roles. Now it's been it's been done in Europe and it's been done here, and but to me it was never done just right. It always looked weird to me. Um, so I have an idea of how to do that. Uh, visually make um, a photo comic where it would be almost like film stills and it would be, a long it would be interesting. Form, it a long just, form story. A long form dramatic story, you know, a whole, yeah, but, but it would, I, I just have this picture in my head of how it could be done properly. And so um, I had a story um, which I wrote an outline for, which Chris Miscavige then turned into a script and then Dean did some edits with us. And so we're sort of working this thing up. It's been going on for a couple of years now. We haven't actually started production, but we just, last week, the three of us sat around and kicked around some ideas and 
we're going to start with um, an eight-page uh, prologue to the main story and see how that does and put that on Strip City sometime next few months, hopefully. And then, you know, reactions will be good, I hope. And then we'll go into the uh, the big project, which I think would be like 120 pages, I believe, if I remember correctly. At least. I mean, script, the thing that's least. weird about this, John, is that, like, okay, I can take a blank page and then, like, once in a while I'll need Google for some reference and just, you know, draw. Uh, yeah. This you need to cast. You need to light. You need Certainly. to. It, it's like making a moving picture, but with stills. And then you have to justify why it's a static image versus mm-hmm. a moving picture. You know. So I understand. Uh, it kind of splits the difference. But you know, when you when you talk about making movies, uh, yeah, believe it or not, making movies unless you're just pointing a camera at someone and then just finding a few little edits, like you might do, let's say, with a podcast. You know, you might, you know, uh, simplify something or, or cut out a, a glitch, or whatever. Um, you know, actually yeah. making, you know, a considered narrative is, is you know, with pictures is, is a different job, you know? No, I understand. You know, in fact, uh, Mark Miller's 1985 yes, right. started off as a fumetti, uh-huh. and, and, and I don't know, and, I, and, you know, it's funny, I'm actually due to talk to Mark soon, hopefully I do, but cool. I always wondered why the project changed from photographs to Tommy Lee Edwards ending up drawing it. I, I, I remember reading, actually, I think I know what happened. I remember, I remember years ago, long before it came out, seeing stills online. Yes. It was a Hulk page, some other things. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember the Hulk image, absolutely. Yeah, and it was interesting, but I think, I think I heard Mark Miller, I read an interview somewhere at some point where he had said that the directive came from Marvel that if it doesn't look as good as the movies they're putting out now, <laughs> Spider-Man, Hulk, whatever was coming out those time, at the time, then there's no reason to do it. Yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. And also, wasn't there, within the last 20 years from Vertigo, uh, a mystery that was done as Sirius Fumetti, where yeah, it was kind of... Yeah, there, there were two books, I remember, in, in the 90s. Uh, yeah. One was called I Paparazzi, and there was another one called Veil. Um, I forget the name of the artist who did that. It was the same photographer artist. Um which I have a very different idea of, of how I, I'd want this story uh, okay. to look compared to that. But, uh, I mean, um, it, was also, it was also earlier days of Photoshop. I feel like you know, te- technologically, right. I have some advantages over them. <laughs> um, Certainly. No, yeah. no, I see what you're saying. But so, I would hazard to say that there's a lot of submittees yeah. being made today, and I'll just wink at that, you know, in well, terms of how much photograph reference has become some true. of our comics. <laughs> <laughs> and most of them kind of don't work, and some of them actually really do work really yeah. well, but it's because actually those guys that are doing that know how to draw, too, and know how to compose a picture. So even though you can see the photo, uh, they've you know changed, altered it enough to make it theirs that you can respect that and then you know kind of immerse yourself into the story. But when it's just photo, bad photo reference and like not well used, uh, I cringe, and yeah. that's why with, with, with Seth, who's an actual photographer and thinks about light and composition, you know, I, I'd, I would like to see an actual proper Fumetti comic being made today, and, and I think Seth's the guy to do it. Well, thanks. So I understand. We're going to give it a shot, and, you know, and working on the Culture Pop series, which Dean was, you know, I, I would say was an unofficial editor. He worked with me a lot, and I, I think I really, you know, had some good lessons in storytelling and layouts, and I, I feel confident now after a few years of that that I could I could make this thing and it and it wouldn't be cheesy because it could be really really bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. but I don't think Understood. it will be. 
No, understood. We'll and Dean, you know, I know you call yourself a Luddite and stuff. Are you still, I mean, have you used any digital tools yet? Have you tried to work on a Cintiq or No, any of I, I, I can't. Whenever I use my little Wacom tablet to do some coloring uh-huh. uh, or whatever, minor editing of something, um, I don't like the feel of plastic against plastic. I just, I'm so used to pencil or brush or pen against, you know, pulp, you know, uh, crushed pulp paper. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, I'm old. I'm 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 ancient, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, you're not because you're doing stuff like Trip City. That's I know, right. I know. But no, you know, no. at the end of the day, that's just the, what I'm interested in is the content and trying to keep up with all the deliveries is is, is the hard part, you know. And 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 then shooting that that horn, you know. I mean, that's that's a job in itself. I mean, we're living in the age of the artist entrepreneur, where yeah, it would be great if you had a lot of you know really cool content. But really, part of your job now is to be your own publicist and publisher, and that is a whole other job. Yep. you know. I agree. As you know, yeah, no, truth, be, yep, truth be told, I got I sit, you know, ten feet from Dean, and he is—he's amazing at at being his own publicist and for Trip City. I mean, he's—I watch him and I learn. He's, it's one of his gifts, I think. And I agree with you, man. Yeah, yeah. No, well, you, you know, know what? Part, you know what? A large part of it, and thanks, Seth. A large part of sure. it is being communal community is key. I mean, we could sit here all day long and toot our own horns, but that gets boring and, and frankly obnoxious. And, you know, what, what keeps us alive and, and connected is community. And, you know, for every time I pimp myself, I hype, you know, three other things. And right. I'm not, I don't do it as a trick. I actually love a lot of things. So yeah. if, if I can come across something and tell somebody about it or just tell whoever's following me about it, it's, it, it's a pleasure to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. And well, oh, no, go oh, right sorry, ahead. I was going to say, um, you know, we've been getting a lot of people coming to us, you know, at, at Trip City asking us to publish their, their comics, their prose and things like that. And I think we've been telling folks a lot recently that you know, Trip City is not a publisher. It's a community. And that means like, okay, if we're going to publish your thing, you're part of the family. And that means that not only do you have to Facebook tweet, Tumblr, whatever, your own content on Trip City, but you're expected, in fact, required to, do that for everyone else in Trip City too. Every day, read the site, see what you like, Facebook it, tweet it, share. I'll share on Instagram. You don't have to like everything. everything. In fact, not everything. No. In fact, you can even take a week off, and you only need to dip your toes for a half hour. And if you like something, say something. That's all. You know, right. not like if you see something, say something like a terrorist bomb. If you like yep. something, say something. <laughs> share it. You know, it's not that hard. Yeah, and it's amazing and, and, how that's not an obvious thing for some people. Like we have to keep, you know, get the drill into some people's heads. But, but really, that's how we all succeed. I, I think we, we, we agree on that, Dean. I mean, that's yeah. the only way that we're all going to get the work out there and get seen is the, the sharing of audiences. So that's community. I mean, you're right. And, and that's, I think, part of the, um, the successful aspect of the, of the site is when we do that. Yeah, so, very cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll see it for yourself, listeners. Go to uh, tripcity.net or welcome to tripcity.com and you'll you'll find the salon there and uh, the collected works of uh, all of the contributors including the two guys we're talking to Dean Haspiel and Seth Kushner. Guys, as always a pleasure. Hey, and thanks, uh, thanks I, you John always and you you are the best podcast uh, about comics in the universe right now and thank thank you always for for doing that. It, it's it's a necessary uh, podcast for all. That's very kind, guys, and honestly, it's because I have people on that make the show interesting, so thank you, and uh, looking forward to our next conversations in person and online. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you. 
to wrap things up, um, I wanted to uh, represent this conversation that I had with uh, Seth just uh, over a year ago. It was April of uh, 2014 that I posted this conversation with Seth. And uh, we talked about Schmuck coming out uh, from Hangdai as a uh, as a graphic novel, both digitally and uh, as as a book. And uh, again, it was just a real pleasure to to talk to Seth and uh, see what was on his mind as uh, you know he faced the challenges of uh, photojournalism um, in this uh, new reality and uh, ever changing media world. So here's Seth uh, Kushner on Word Balloon. To wrap things up, I'm happy to have Seth Kushner back on the podcast. Seth came on to talk about Leaping Tall Buildings, a great book that he and Christopher Irving did a couple years ago that uh, featured wonderful photography from Seth and uh, great interviews from Christopher talking to, man, everybody from Jerry Robinson and Joe Simon, deans of the Golden Age of Comics, right up to a bunch of webcomic people as well. And uh, it is fantastic. Good mainstream people in there. Wonderful book. Seth is also part of Hang Dai Studios. Their first release is going to be Seth's first original graphic novel. It's called Schmuck. And uh, it features a lot of great uh, indie uh, artists. And it's his adventures in the dating scene. Uh, a very funny original graphic novel from Seth Kushner. But Seth is also, as I've said, a great photographer and uh, I think is facing the same kind of challenges a lot of us in media have, especially as a freelance journalist and a freelance photographer. Um, God, I've seen it in Chicago where the Chicago Sun-Times, one of our main newspapers, just cut their entire staff of uh, on-staff photographers and have gone to freelance photographers. And you see things all the time where... Online people just want uh, average people with their smartphones to take pictures for them and stuff. What does that do for the successful commercial photographers and journalistic photographers like Seth? Uh, he explains that along with talking about schmucks. So we have a really nice, interesting discussion to wrap things up with Seth Kushner on Word Balloon. Seth Kushner, welcome to Word Balloon. It's it's good to hear from you, man. It's been uh, it's been a couple of years. We've talked online, but I'm glad to have you back. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the show, so thanks for thanks for having me on tonight. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, what you've done um, in, in books like Leaping Tall Buildings, your fine book with Chris Irving, your wonderful video work as well. I remember the Activate uh, video you guys made. I remember seeing that in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. That was a while ago. Yeah. 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 So that was five years ago, man. Yeah. How are you doing? That's, that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> and now you've got a Kickstarter for Schmuck, and I was aware of Schmuck because it's, uh, it's, you've been posting it at Trip City, Yes. your, your, your current online uh, home. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not actually so much doing Trip City right now. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, Dean Haspiel and I have kind of stepped away from it because... Oh? Well... <laughs> <laughs> for, for, I get comfortable with you guys in yeah. one place and it's... Yeah, so activate. No, no, Trip City. Okay, yeah, Trip City. Uh, no, no, not, not anymore. But yeah, go on because I know that's part of the uh, the Kickstarter as well. It is. Well, I did post smoke at Trip City for a couple of years. You know, the, the funny thing is, you know, uh, Trip City is a, is a free online content hub and in theory i think it's a very good idea and it built up an audience a moderate audience over a couple of years but uh dean and i i think together really um came to this conclusion that that free wasn't enticing for a lot of people that um there's so much free on the internet especially it's hard to get someone's attention I mean, you could watch you know the latest nbc shows for free online <laughs> why are they anyone going to read your comic and there's so much you know content available it's free that it's almost like something of value even if it's a dollar or two dollars or you know or, or just some monetary figure makes it more enticing so that a viewer might put uh, some some value on it so so the free model stopped working for us is basically the uh, the answer um the site exists uh, our our archives are still up there 
Um, there are still a number of Schmuck comics up there, but um, the, uh, the book that I'm working on would be a, a remastering of those. So the ones online that are free are, are very different from what the book is going to be. So that was a short answer, I guess. Well, um, and feel free to uh, like expand on that. I mean, sure. I, uh, Schmuck, let people know what, uh, what Schmuck is about. Okay, so Schmuck um, it's essentially a, a, a semi-autobio. Um, I say semi because while writing, I discovered that when I was able to let go of quote-unquote truth, um, I, I was able to write a lot better. So I changed everyone's name, including my own. So Seth Kushner became Adam Kessler, which is a similar sounding name for me. Um, <laughs> and when I was able to start thinking of, of the people in my life as characters, I was able to write them in a way that um, actually was more interesting and more honest. And then memoir, I think since James Frey has taken on as kind of a loaded, uh, a loaded feeling for people because, (laughs) and I, and I read that book, you know, before the whole thing happened, it was a perfectly fine book. And then I was like, eh, but, but, um, I think it's because, you know, you know, a memory is subjective. And then there's the whole, you know, Rashomon, uh, thing where everyone has their own version of the truth anyway. Mm-hmm. So to write a story that uh, uh, things that happen to you and say this is absolutely the truth makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, letting go of the truth allows me to um, expand upon things for dramatic or comedic effect. Um, it just makes it, it it makes it more about story and less about factual story. Mm-hmm. So that's the first well, part I, of it. Yeah. And then yeah, I guess as as you said in uh, print interviews, originally it was going to be a novel. What what made you want to make it a comic? Yeah, you know. Um, I started writing it as a novel as the events were actually happening. So, so basically the thrust of the story takes place between 2002, 2004, which I like to describe as my quote unquote schmucky years. Um, <laughs> uh, so I was in my late twenties. Um, listen, there's nothing that happened to me that hasn't happened to everyone. I'm just, I'm just writing about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, no, it really is a universal story, which yeah. I think is part of the appeal. I think so. I think so. So I just, you know, I was, I was dumped by a, by a, a girl who I thought I was in love with and, and then I had a couple of years of just you know, trying to date and trying to you know, find the one. And I just got into a lot of uh, let's call them schmucky situations. Um, and it's called schmuck because uh, that's the name my mother called me when I was growing up. <laughs> Whenever I did anything <laughs> foolish, you schmuck. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it stuck. Uh, Thanks, Mom. Yeah, you know, she, she gave me something, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, it's essentially um, – it's, it's my – kind of Woody Allen movie or My Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's my shedding light on the awkward um, uh, nature of relationships and dating, um, which I think, again, we, we all can relate with, I think. Um, no one's really George Clooney, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, as much as we try, as I was telling you off the air, absolutely. Man. Yeah, I don't even think I tried or knew how to try. <laughs> I, I could only be me, and me was kind of schmucky. But, you know, it's a coming-of-age story, and... After all these embarrassing and, and awkward events occur, my character does uh, learn some things about himself and comes to some clues, comes conclusions and is able to elevate himself, let's say, uh, past a level of schmuckiness to where it's you know, a level where maybe he's uh, acceptable by society standards, we'll say. Um, the spoiler alert, I, I am married, so things did work out okay, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank you. Very thank nice. you. Yeah, it's, it's been a bunch of years now. Um, so, uh, you know, um, it, it's, mo- it, it's, a, it's a comedy, but it's also a tragedy. So it's, um, it's life, I, I think. And, and again, nothing extraordinary ever happened to me. 
but one of my favorite uh, comic authors, uh, Harvey Picar, who to me invented you know the memoir comic. Um, mm-hmm. I think the lesson that I learned from him was it's not about having an extraordinary life or even having anything interesting happen to you. It's about how you tell it. So I really ascribe to that notion. That's excellent. And I know, too, uh, Dean Haspiel, your, one of your studio mates, is a guy that uh, you know kind of dabbles in that a little bit with Billy Dogma. He kind of you know sensationalizes it, but I know at the core – there's some of his frustrations with the dating world and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, and, and you've, through your experience, I guess, uh, were able to go to a bunch of uh, really cool cartoonists and help them, you know, get them to help you tell your story. Yeah, actually, I didn't realize, as you're asking the question, I didn't fully answer the last question, but I could tie them in. So why is it, why is no it a comic? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I got on, on a tangent. So, so I wrote this prose thing. It was a long, rambling you know, piece. And because it was written at the time, a lot of it, it ended up being a little sarcastic and raw and maybe a little, too more, a little more angry than I'd want, you know, want it to be. So years went by. I kind of sat on it. And then you know, when I started working at Leaping Tall Buildings and I started um, photographing and meeting and spending time with all my comic creator heroes, um, I realized – comics, which were my first love and something I thought I would never be able to make, that maybe I could, maybe I could make my own comic, you know, um, just watching these guys do it. And, you know, a lot of folks were really encouraging to me and Dean in particular, who, uh, I would go to, as far to say really mentored me in comics. Uh, we share a studio now, but we became fast friends, you know, on that project. And mm-hmm. he really uh, helped me find, uh, my voice and was sort of my, um, uh, my comics Yoda maybe. I'm him. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to see your comic Godfather, but Yoda yeah, works yeah. too. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and I think he's been that for a lot of people. I think um, sure. he has a certain joy in, in, in kind of bringing people in, which is, which is really nice. So um, at that point, I figured I'm going to try and you know, take a shot. And really, um, when I started writing the script you know, initially, and, and there was a learning curve. I had to learn you, know, you can't put 12 panels on a page unless you know, you're <laughs> just, just a Dave Gibbons kind of watchman thing. Generally, it's five panels. You want to have this many words per panel. And there's all these sort of unwritten things I didn't realize, even though I had read comics my whole life, I never made them. I never really studied them in that way. Um, so I learned how to format a script and, and, and to adapt my stories and sort of uh, went through my long prose and, and picked the ones that I thought were the most visual, uh, visual, the most different. And, you know, before I knew it, I had these, these, these 21 stories written out um, in, in script form. Um, and, and really when I started, I realized immediately, you know, this is the format it should be. It really, it should be a comic. I was too afraid to kind of even figure that out beforehand. But since I'm a comics fan and, and the, the character based upon me is, you know, fanatical as well. And in fact, mm-hmm. comics even tie into various parts of the story. Um, there's even a part where my character's at a, at a strip club and at a, at a bachelor party and he ends up bonding with a stripper over comics. And that actually happened. So, <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of places it ties in. So it really just made sense on a lot of levels. And I think it's, it's much better as a, as a comic than a prose anyway. And especially when you cite some of your, your influences and stuff like that, like Harvey, obviously. Sure. And also, being in New York, too, how well do the literary comics do? I mean, for a lack of a better description, because I think even underground isn't quite appropriate uh, you know i mean like yeah. uh, you know i've got Je- we've got jeffrey brown yeah. and certainly um uh and shame on chris ware obviously yeah. and others in chicago and stuff um and i talked to jeffrey like poor chris i mean i i admire the hell out of him and i've seen him speak a million times yeah. but i also know how 
uh, Mike shy and, and really, you know, he really hates being interviewed <laughs> and stuff. So I haven't uh, approached him other than as a fan to say how much I like his work. But yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, yeah, I'd, if I'd love to get him to know him a lot better, Ivan Brunetti, another, uh, yeah. you know, guy like that's in that milieu as well. So yeah, how, how is the uh, comic scene literary wise in, in New York and, and supporting, you know, those kind of alternative comics? You know, I don't know anything about what sells, <laughs> but I know there, there's definitely, there's a scene, you know, there's, there's, there's the, the Barb Sikoriak, um, uh, comics carousel happens fairly regularly where, where folks go and they and they read their comics before an audience or, or if it's slide project mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. cool and there's you know there's there's always stuff going on um you know certainly Burger street comics constantly has literary type comic events mm-hmm. um you know th- there's a nice i would say not huge but small tight-knit community which i'm pretty happy to be part of um you know again i don't know you know i don't know any, anything about whether these things actually sell, <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything about that. But um, um, you know, it's funny. I, I think, although I think the comics, you know, if you go to Barnes and Nobles, you know, there's the comics section at least it used mm-hmm. to be, and and um, sometimes you'll see the more literary comics uh, displayed more near the register. <laughs> and I know maybe it's the staff picks, but it always makes me happy to see you know, building stories or you know the latest clouds, you know, displayed prominently with the quote unquote real books, you know. <laughs> Sure. So I, I think there is support for such things. I'm happy to say. That's cool. Well, and you know we've got uh, places like Quimby's here in Chicago and other sure. stores as well that do the same thing. Do literary readings with slides. I uh, know one of your uh, studio mates was just in town actually a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Gregory Benton. Yes. Gregory Benton. Absolutely. And I remember Seth doing uh, a uh, reading with slides at Quimby's. Oh, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago and stuff in a November day, as I remember it, uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. But, um, well, let's, uh, you know, so where are you right now at the Kickstarter? You're about halfway through it. About halfway through it. Um, Kickstarter is an, an amazing but but difficult thing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, I feel so anxiety-ridden about the whole thing. I, I, just, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I'm trying not to check it every six seconds. I'm trying to wait eight seconds in between, maybe. <laughs> No, it's funny. At the beginning, like day one and day two, it's what I imagine crack must be because I was just getting pings constantly. Because you know, the first couple of days, it's really uh, prime time for it. So sure. it was just launched really strong, and I was just feeling sky high, and uh, it was really um, uh, uh, uplifting in a lot of ways. Like, wow, people really do care. People must maybe people do like me, <laughs> or at least interested <laughs> in the work. You know, which which is a nice feeling. Um, and then. Like everyone's warned, it does definitely slow down towards the middle, and I'm right in the middle right now. Um, but, you know, I, I'm happy to be getting press, and I'm doing a lot of uh, uh, viral marketing, a lot of Facebook posts and, and tweets, and put out a panel every day, and it's nice to see a lot of guys supporting and retweeting and that sort of thing. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's a, I think it's a lot of money to ask for, I think, although I've certainly seen people, you know, get more. But from where I'm sitting, it's it's fifteen thousand dollars. It's a lot of money, and you know the money's justified. Because part of my plan is, you know, I didn't, and I may be flying too close to the sun here, but I don't know. But I, I didn't want to just put this out, you know, simply for the folks who support the campaign. I'm thinking, all right, I really I want to have a book in stores. You know, I want to be able to print, you know, a good, you know, print run of like fifteen hundred copies at least. So I went and I made a distribution deal with Alternative Comics. And if I get funded, they will distribute through Diamond. It'll be in stores, Amazon, etc. So, okay, perfect, great. So the only thing I need to do is is raise the money, which is not that easy. <laughs> so, 
So, you know, um, I could have gone to publishers with this. You know, I, I didn't actually pitch it around at all. Um, I pitched around a very early version of it years ago, but this completed, you know, 172 page thing has never been pitched. And I think because it's my story, I, I really, I just wanted to, you know, try to publish it on my own through the Hang Die Editions imprint that myself and Dean Haspiel and Gregory Benton and Josh Newfeld started. Um, and just keep control of it. You know, I, I just thought, here's my chance to really experiment with independent publishing and see if it can work with this model. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And some of the artists that you're working with, man, Josh Newfield and yeah. Nick Bertozzi and uh, certainly Gregory Benton and Dean Haspiel, Kevin Colden, yeah. uh, Leland Purvis, Sean Pryor, Bobby Tamoy, big fan of Bobby's, yeah. and, and a lot of the others I've just mentioned, Noah Van Skyver. Yep. Is it Seamus Bale? Seamus Bale, yep. Mm-hmm. There we go. Ryan Alexander Tanner, yes. Omar Angui- uh, Anguillo. Yeah, Anguillo, yep. You, see, I'm gonna, you know, this is like, you know, <laughs> half, of, half of these guys I know and half of them I don't. But yeah. I mean, like, uh, I've never heard of Scuds McKinley, but I got to tell you, I like the art, the art I've seen uh, in the, the book you sent me and everything. Yeah, he's he's new. And, you know, I, I, again, it's a mix between established guys whose work I love and, and new guys I found at cons whose, whose work I loved. So um, I, I like being able to mix it up. I, I, I've met a lot of, you know, super talented artists that no one's heard of yet, but I, I, I'm pretty sure people soon will. Um, I was very lucky to be able to work with um, so many great people. And each one of these experiences, there were 21, was a learning experience. Like each one was comic school for me because everyone brought something else to the table. You know, um, some of the real uh, vets, like a Nick Bertozzi or, or, or Josh Newfeld, you know, I would send them the script and, and they would send me back notes like they were an editor at the same time because <laughs> they do their own material. Like, you know what? Don't you think maybe if you come back to this at the end, that might make it a little stronger? And yeah, you're right. And I, I would completely concede to these guys. because I just respect their work so much. And, you know, and some of the other guys would, you know, often um, well, I, I would always say there's a better way to tell the story than what I'm writing here in terms of panel arrangements. Just do your thing. And some guy just completely surprised me like, wow, I didn't think of that. That is awesome. So a lot of that went on. Um, it was just a ton of really great experiences, and I got to work with some of my favorite cartoonists. So there's really nothing wrong with any of that. <laughs> you know? I, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it was a long, you know, it was, it was a long process because the first, the first part of it that Kevin Colden drew was back in, I think that was in '08, where it was just being made for a pitch, and then, and there was, and I remember the agent we had sent it out the week after the um, the economy collapsed. So, you know, duh, no one bought it. Okay. No one was doing anything at that point. So uh, I just let it go and then decided a couple years later, I'm going to do this as an anthology. Because originally it was going to be a 200-page graphic novel that Kevin was going to draw. And I think um, as an anthology, it works so much better. And I'm glad it didn't sell the first time. I think it's just so much better in this form. You know, so much more exciting and unique. I'm I'm definitely in agreement with that. Um, I, you know, yeah, the, the different artists all bring a different flavor to it. And as you say, I'm assuming then that, um, some of the, some of the notes back and stuff obviously changed, changed a lot of the story. Uh, to varying degrees, you know, really it was just, you know, mainly it was, it it was Josh and Nick (laughs) who had the notes and, and they were just so spot on. I mean, I, as much as I respected them before being able to work with them and seeing how they work, how they think about story and narrative, just, you know, I realized these guys are just geniuses it's just like comics geniuses so there's a lot to take from that there's no no way i would ever disagree with anything they tell me at this point on so i i also noticed that um in the uh, pledge area and stuff for some of the premiums uh a lot of these guys are doing 
um, you know, sketches and things yeah. Uh, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sketches and then um, uh, well, commissions and then a couple of right. them comics consultations. So a few of the guys in New York, Dean, Nick, Josh, and Gregory are all offering these consultations where you can go and if you're an aspiring cartoonist or, or veteran and, and have lunch with them and they'll read your comic and go through your layouts and, and kind of, you know, be able to get some of the, uh, the advice that I got working on Schmuck. So I think that that's, you know, for anyone looking to learn about story and making comics, that's, that's pretty invaluable. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to share a studio with a couple of those guys. So I, I know how valuable that, that really is. I see. Yeah. Josh Newfield uh, is uh, doing that. Yes. Dean is doing that. Yep. Yep. Uh, Gregory is doing that. Yep. And Nick Ritozzi. Very cool. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, man. I think so. Yeah. Hopefully people start taking advantage of that. And then as you say too, um, are there to support, uh, your studio, Hangdai, your current studio yes. with, with, uh, with the other guys. Um, this is the first full graphic novel from Hangdai. Um, so how is like, is, is it a push goal to go beyond funding for the book? Is that what you're saying or no, we, we, what it is? Um, so we, four, me, myself and Josh Newfeld and, and Greg Benton and, and Dean Haspiel, you know, have all published books for publishers mm-hmm. and we'll all do that again. But in most cases, you know, you don't really, you know, it doesn't support your living. You know, you get, um, an advance maybe. And if you do or don't, then you get some royalties and, a lot of these books don't necessarily, you know, sell enough to deliver, or not. They don't print it. How do I put this? Uh, the the orders don't demand enough copies printed to turn nice profit. Is what happens, and then you're splitting the profit with the publisher. And at this point, I, we feel in this DIY world, in some cases, for works that we consider signature, you know, we could be our own publisher and just you know, raise the money, or save the money, or get the money, and do all the things a publisher does. Because we can go to a printer in China, you know, we can get the same kind of deal and just sort of make it happen. So we started out really small in that we each four, each each of us four, uh, printed one floppy comic, mm-hmm. uh, two of which are debuting at Mocha Fest next week in New York City. Um, oh, fantastic! Yes, um, but the ultimate goal is to do books. So because my book is the first one done, I'm kind of the guinea pig. So, <laughs> so. In other words, the publishing, it's more like an imprint. We're each handling our own things under this umbrella, which we hope would stand for a certain level of quality as we all have shared common goals and interests and that sort of thing. So this is the first book from Hang Dai under the imprint. Um, if Dean does the next book, he has to fund his own book. So, and he may do it differently. Maybe he won't do Kickstarter. Maybe he'll have an independent investor. Who knows? But I'm trying the Kickstarter model first. Hmm. Well, and I, you know, using Kickstarter has been part of the conversation for the last few weeks on the show. I, yes, um, I've heard them all. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and no, honestly, I, I do find the similarities interesting, but also the individual experiences as well. And um, as you say, too, we are, we're in this DIY kind of era, yeah. but that doesn't mean that um, you're guaranteed riches. And I, and I'm glad that you're saying that because I do think that a lot of people, um, see the Brian K. Vaughns, the Ed Brubakers, the Matt Fractions right. that are doing their image comics and are doing so well and really do think success is just around the corner for everyone. Right. And they've obviously built these audiences uh, in a lot of cases, you know, through, uh, for lack of a better word, mainstream books. Yeah. And, you know, now are, are you know doing that. Dean seems to, of the four of you, and, and Josh, I know, you know, certainly has a following as well, but yeah. it seems like Dean's, probably the got the biggest following of the four of you i'd say so yeah for sure 
Okay. Yeah. And then you mentioned Leap Tall Buildings, and I saw your uh, Leaping Tall Buildings, and I, and I saw your uh, your column that you did at uh, 13th Dimension. Yeah. And I give that guy – what's Dan's last name? Oh, Dan Greenfield. Dan Greenfield, yeah. who um, – and I've, I've described it in a, le- a couple recent uh, Word Balloon in, in episodes as well uh, – was uh, doing a geek column for the New York Post. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then it got canceled, yeah. or they decided they didn't want it anymore. Yeah, that's what happened exactly. And and you know, I mean, Dan had all these great contacts, and he got smart, and you know, put the thing online. Yep. And has kept it going, and and I think it really is a, a good new voice <clears throat> amongst. Pardon me, I'm going to drink something. Please go ahead. <laughs> speaking, I know. I speaking of vo- new voice. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, don't worry, I'm going to cut all that out. All right, here we go. I say keep it. It's, it's Verite, right? <laughs> <laughs> Be the underground guy, exactly. You're like, yeah, no, man, it's all good. Right. Leave it in. That's fair. All right, so so be it. We will. Up to you, John. Dan, uh, even my swallow's there. Dan, uh, no, I give him a lot of credit because I do think he's a, a good, strong voice, and he's getting a lot of you creators yeah. to contribute and, and give your story of what's going on. And that's certainly what I try to do on Word Balloon and stuff. So yeah. – um, Leaping Tall Buildings, man, it just seemed like this very perfect uh, book about comics. I thought Chris Irving did a great job of doing these great kind of three-page interviews that were very in-depth, but brief enough that I think they're fun to rifle through. You, of course, and I mean, we've talked about this last time you were on about Leaping Tall Buildings, in fact, that... You know, a lot of those portraits that you've done have really become kind of signature portraits for a lot of these creators. Yeah. And uh, some of us, I think, inadvertently have, have you know, pirated those images. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you know, I'll, I'll say it as a guy who swiped an apple off the cart. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. And I did last time, but, you know. <laughs> but, uh, no, hey, man, it's um, – so I can appreciate, you know, it just seems like that book was – you know, got it. I remember, didn't the New York Times uh, do a review they on did. it and stuff? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know Wall Street Journal. That guy did kind of miss the point of the book. I thought that was an interesting review. <laughs> that was my buddy who writes for the Wall Street Journal sent it to me, and he's like, "What gives?" Yeah, and I'm like, "This guy completely missed the point of this book." Instead of talking about the book, he decided to tell us why mainstream comics sucked today. Yeah, he had an agenda. It was it was weird. It was it was a long review in which the book was mentioned in one paragraph. You know, he yeah. had a few other – I'm not even going to dignify giving the guy's name out yeah. because uh, he his pointed agenda popped up in a few other uh, blogs and websites of, of news places. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling he, that was his first and last pieces for a lot of uh, uh, different places because I haven't seen his name. I haven't either. Late. No, only a little bit after that but not since. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, – but anyway, yeah. So, I mean it seemed like the book did well. And then you tell us the reality. Oh well, the, the book the book did fine, and in fact, um, well, well <laughs> um, there's not really a but about leaping tall buildings. It's more like a but about uh, about publishing, I guess. Um, leaping tall buildings did you know did fine, and you know I had a book before that did, that did okay also. But with, when it's a book that's thirty five dollars, and and it's an art book essentially, which is aimed at a niche, a niche audience, and it's an art book for comic fans, which is a niche. Of, yeah, it's niche a niche within a niche. Within yes, niche. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it it almost sold through its print run. Um, okay, which is fine, and it actually it it um it was licensed for a French edition, which I think, from what I understand, it did better in France. Um, okay, which is also interesting. But there's not, you know, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of uh, of money for the creators of these kind of books, or maybe any kind of books, unless you're Stephen King or J.K. Rowling or someone 
you know, really famous who catches lightning in a bottle. Um, it's, uh, it's not a thing that one can use to support their living. Um, which is why, again, why I'm trying to figure out the ins and outs of publishing independently. Um, there's a lot of great things about publishing with a publisher. Um, but I think in this day and age, like I said before, we, we creators learn and know how to do a lot of this for ourselves. Um, and you know, a good publisher, uh, does more than pay the printer bill, but some publishers really just pay the printer bill. And it's an unfortunate thing. And I work at a studio in Gowanus uh, with uh, four studios full of cartoonists. And, uh, and when we all meet in the hall, everyone sort of shares war stories about all the, uh, the, the bad experiences they've had with, with publishers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, bad advances, uh, they don't pay, they, um, uh, they take the cover away from the creator, they um, truncated schedules, just, you know, all kinds of just... Um, Things you don't want to hear because, I mean, to me, um, it's the creator of the book, of the project, of the movie, of, of whatever it is we're talking about, the album, that is, is the auteur who made this thing and why are they the last ones to profit? It, it just seems so backwards to me in most cases. I understand. Yeah. I've uh, toyed with the idea and I'm actually still doing a word balloon book ah. and I've had publishers approach me. Yeah. And, you know, have said, oh, would you like to publish through us? And I said, sure, would I make any money? And immediately they're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, they actually, and I'm they like, actually tell you well, that. Wow. That's- yeah, and, and it just blew my mind that they were so candid. And I'm like, well, oh. then why do you think I would go through you? Right. I mean, it's just like, well, no, I, the, <laughs> I right. think these, these, these interviews are of value. And I will, you know, they will, like a good wine, they will, they will be served at their proper time or I'll, at, at my best judgment. Right. And uh, no, so, I mean, I, I won't deny that there's even a personal interest I have in terms of the conclusions you've made and, and yeah. uh yeah, being the last ones to make a profit. I saw in, in your thirteenth dimension piece that, you know, you got a, a check for around like three hundred and fifty bucks or whatever, a royalty check. Right. And uh, you said you said based on the time and effort it took to make this art book. Yeah, and that was an earlier book that wasn't leaping. Oh excuse me. Book, yeah. I thought I assumed it was leaping. All oh, right. No, it was, it was me. a book from two thousand seven that I did. Um, it's a book that I spent three years working on. Um, it was 204, no, it was, um, 240 pages. Uh, I did over 300 photo shoots. Um, I shot film back then. So the advance that my co-author and I shared all went to film and processing. I wasn't doing digital at the time. And, you know, seven years later, we each got a check for 355. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a little crazy. So for self-publishing, who are you leaning on to help you advice-wise? You know, I, I talk to a lot of folks. Um, again, you know, I work at the studio in Gowanus, and this is the kind of thing mm-hmm. we talk about at the studio. Uh, who's doing what? How are we doing this? What's your plan? Um, you know, there's um, – you know, if you look at the book scan numbers, which I just recently saw for graphic novels for last year, you know, beyond The Walking Dead's and and some manga stuff that a lot of the kids read, I never heard of. <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of comics that graphic novels that you've heard of that you think are doing really well that sell 800 copies, a thousand copies for the year period. For the year, and this is this is bookstore. I don't know about comic store, and this doesn't include digital. It was bookstore sales. So, and it was kind of shocking. To see, oh, I know that copy. I bought that. I thought everyone read that. Wow, it only was the only hundred copies. It's kind of shocking. And you realize those creators didn't really make any money off it, or very little. 
So, you know, again, unless it's franchised and they got their page rate and they get some royalty, but if, if it's a creator-owned thing, you know, once the printer bill is paid and, you know, hire a publicist or whatever, it's not a whole lot left. Understood. Yeah. What about – because <clears throat> as <clears> – <throat> As you said, you've been doing art books. <clears throat> Schmuck is really more of a traditional graphic novel yes. with a bunch of different art styles. Yes. Um, what about releasing this as a digital property? I know, again, some of those stories appeared at Trip City, but as you say, it is a different narrative now that it is collected. And, and yeah, I mean, just as a digital property, what do you think? Well, I would absolutely um, put the collection on Comixology. I mean, for sure. Um, why not, right? I mean, I, mean I, I certainly read comics digitally. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I should mention how it's, you know, the Trip City versions were sort of the beta-tested versions. Um, aside from the fact they've all either been colored or toned, um, they've also been re-edited and, and put in a, a straight narrative we could read it straight through and get the story. While Trip City versions were all kind of like bite-sized, schmucky bits to read, just, you know, here's eight pages here, here's ten pages here. So it is really very, very different. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely will do digital, you know, what is your expectation from the digital sales? You know, I have, I have no idea. I know that, um, you know, comiXology has the submit area, which is generally, Mm -hmm. um, uh, folks who are doing self-published stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm glad they have that. I'm glad it's on the front page. I don't know how well that stuff sells, you know? Um, I think for this again, You know, I do have a marketing plan and such. I hope when it actually comes out in the fall that people will have heard of it <laughs> and, and, and hopefully seek it out. So, but I, you know, I'll do the best to make sure that happens. But, you know, anything's a crapshoot, right, John? You never know what's going to happen with your product. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well what, uh, what about, like, are, are you going to conventions? I mean, again, oh, yeah. Yeah. the great thing is certainly New York does have a bunch of you know, like Mocha, but you know more. Is it King City? Is that the Brooklyn? Uh... Uh, they don't do that anymore. King Con. I oh, think. too bad. Yeah, I think that's that's been a couple of years. But they started last year the Comics Arts Brooklyn, which was a really great con. Uh, one cool. day thing in Williamsburg was excellent. Uh, I'm going to Mocha Fest. Sorry, Mocha Fest next week. I have a table. I have going to Asbury Park Comic Con the week after, okay. which is actually ran by Dan from Thirteenth Dimension and Cliff Gobbery. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. And then in June, there's New York Comics Fest in Westchester. Um, my plan is to debut Schmuck at SBX in September. Small that's in San Francisco. I know that. uh, that's um, that's in Maryland. The small press. Oh, excuse show. me. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Ape is in San Francisco. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm definitely doing those, and and we'll see what else. But I, I definitely have um a, a con schedule, and yeah, I think it's important to um to go to cons, and I, I, it's funny. I mean. I try to tell people this because not everyone agrees, but even if you don't sell a ton of stuff, just staying there at the table and people seeing you promotes. I mean, even if you're paying for the table and you're losing money on it, I feel like you got to go. <laughs> you have to just be there. You know. Um, no, I understand. You know, I, uh, that's kind of how I look at San Diego. You can't afford to go, but you can't afford not to go. You know, I've never gone yet. So <laughs> well, and I, but you know, again, I, I think my reasons and yours are different, and I do think that small press is a bigger challenge. At San Diego. I think so. Even New York, I think, is a better option Yeah, uh, because of the way they do Artist Alley, yes. the way Reed's been doing Agreed. it and stuff. Agreed. And I, yeah. Yeah, and especially the last the last two years or three years yeah. where it is kind of its own little satellite thing. It, it's actually fantastic. It is fantastic. It's the best part of the con, I think. I completely agree. And it is like we were just talking off the air how many miles 
<laughs> when you're walking around at cons, how many miles you can accrue and everything. And it's it's off to the side of the Javits Center. The main floor is a walk away. And certainly when it's a sea of people, could take you a long time to get to the main floor. Oh, yeah. But all the people in the know always find Artist Alley. And the same goes for C2E2, the Reed Show in Chicago. Yeah. Um, they're just good, healthy, you know, Artist Alley situations. San Diego really isn't. And I, I, I have friends that are small press guys that do well, but they're, they're, you know, it's the Batten Lashes, it's the Art and Francos, it's those guys that have had years of, you know, collecting their audience and stuff, and they do okay. Right. But man, I'll tell you, then you get to Artist Alley, and it's, God, it's, you know, each year the, the space that the creators are given literally inches are shaved off uh, every year. I see. Okay. And, and it's just smaller and smaller. So, no, it is, unless you've got, you know, going in with somebody and maybe you guys will eventually like have a, a real booth or something like that. That might be worth it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you're just going yourself and, you know, setting up your table and stuff, no, San Diego is really not, I don't, I don't think a, a worthwhile option. Yeah. I, I kind of get that sense. And even, you know, New York con before they had the artist alley on the side you're talking about, I remember going to it, you know, at Javits and you know, it's, it's big. I mean, it's a big room. And I remember standing mm-hmm. in the middle of that room and thinking, how can anything I make ever get noticed in a room like this? Because it's just everywhere you look, it's just it's just product. It's T-shirts, it's toys, it's comics, it's graphic novels. There's so much stuff in there. If I got a booth and had my little comic, and like, who's even going to see me in there? <laughs> it's so daunting. It's so daunting. So I really love also that they put this this side artist alley, and, I, and we might hang die. We might do that this year. We're talking about whether we're going to do New York or not. I was wondering too about the the summer New York show that's coming up too. Yeah, you know, interesting thing about that. So we had um, the four of us had uh, already committed to this New York Comics Fest, which is a new con from the guys who do Asbury Park. Um, we like those guys; they've been good to us. They, they give us a table. We get to be guests, and it's the same weekend. And we committed, you know, months oh. before. And then Reed comes in and like, oh, we're doing this New York Comic Con. It's it's just you know, so. On one hand, we're a little concerned because they got a lot of guests at the, at the Reed Show. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Although the New York Comics Fest has Scott Snyder and Mark Wade and some other good folks who were draws, which is good. Interesting. Yeah, they got on some good people. And it's also not in the city. It, it's, in, it's in Westchester. And, you know, I, I don't live upstate, but I'm told people who live outside of the city, there's a certain um, psychology where they don't want to go into Manhattan. So you may get – yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I live in Brooklyn, so I got no problem going to Manhattan. But apparently, we might get all these people who don't want to go into Manhattan, and it could be a huge turnout. So we're hoping it goes well. Those guys put okay. together a really nice con. So you know, we're sticking with you know the folks we you know gave our word to first. Okay, then that doesn't sound as bad as when Wizard was trying to compete directly with Reed a couple of oh, years yeah, ago. Yeah. So yeah, I understand. And um, no, I, I there's there's a bit of that in Illinois too with regards to Chicago. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's interesting how as you get further away, the the psychology of some people that they they don't want to deal with, you know, the big city or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, no, that's cool that Westchester has Snyder and, and Wade and you guys. That's no, that's very promising. Then I hope so. I think they also have like Dilson Kevich as a guest. I think. Um, cool. Uh, who else? Uh, oh, Jim Steranko, a few other good folks. So. Oh, that's uh, great, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's. That's damn good. Yeah. No, I, you know, hey man, if I lived halfway from both places, I'd have to think about it. I respect yeah, that's that. Good to hear. That's wonderful. Yeah, no, they they, they, do, they do a really good job. So hopefully, it all it all works out and they get the, they get the turnout they they really deserve. So, so as you say in in uh, the thirteenth dimension column, and certainly as well, your your post as well at at uh, Bandai is uh, you're you're you know you want your creative efforts 
to, you know, you want to be able to reap the profits from those, obviously, and really live off of what you're creating, which yeah. I, is the dream of all that of us. That would be living the dream, absolutely, yes. So, yeah. yeah. So, your day job is in photography. Right. What What do you do beyond what we know as far as what we've seen in the books and, and you know, your other stuff? What Yeah, what's your main photography job? Right. Well, I'm freelance, and uh, over the years, I've worked for a lot of magazines, like the New York Times, <laughs> New Time, and Newsweek, and Sports Illustrated, and places like that. Um, I do advertising. Um, do a variety of stuff. Generally involving portraits of people is sort of my um, thrust. I've been a lot of celebrity portraits over the years. Um, I've gotten to meet a lot of great, you know, great subjects and had some interesting adventures. Um, you know, but uh, I don't want to be too sobering. <laughs> no, actually, I would like to. Uh, you know, really spell it out for people. All right, I'm going to hear from folks saying this is a really depressing South Coast interview, but I'm not depressed. I'm perfectly happy just to put that out there. But um, you know. Back in, in 08, again, during that, uh, that most recent economic crisis, um, publishing really changed, um, I think, for a lot of people, especially for those who I think were in the middle area like I was. Like, I've never been you know, like a Richard Avedon level photographer, but I was always comfortable in the middle. I always worked. I always made a living you know, for, since you know, the mid-90s. I've done okay for myself. But um, you know, a, a magazine started going out of business. Uh, the ones that were still around were cut in half. So less editorial pages, which means less advertising. So there's less money being spent all around. Um, uh, the editorial rates seem to actually go down where uh, all of a sudden uh, in recent years, I'm getting paid the same amount I was getting paid when I first started back in 1997, which is sort of shocking because they had gone up. So I don't know how that's justified. <laughs> so it's a little demoralizing. Um it's uh, and overall, I think the um, the value of photography has been diminished a great deal, um, you know, by 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 the iPhones, <laughs> honestly. And I and listen, I Instagram. Was ask. Yeah, you know, um, I heard a stat. I'm trying to make sure get this right. I think it was in 2012. I'm paraphrasing something like like 11 percent of every photo ever taken was taken that year. Which is staggering. You think about photography was invented in the 1860s, okay? Mm-hmm, that Brady Civil War. <laughs> exactly. So it's been around a long time. There have been pictures taken every year, mostly with film. Film was not disposable. Film was expensive. Now we have digital. Glass, glass negatives back in the oh, day. Oh, back then it was more than expensive. <laughs> and there was yeah. a great effort involved. You had to actually bring a wagon with you with a darkroom and, and kind of run in there and develop the film on the spot. It was, it was no one-hour photo lab. It was a really tough thing. <laughs> and it got easier as years went on. And, but now, now everyone has a phone and everyone takes a million pictures and deletes the ones they don't like, okay? And you end up with one good one. So on one hand, almost anyone can get one good shot because you've taken so many. And on the other hand, there's just a proliferation of images in society where I feel every image has less value than it once did. So all of a sudden, the things I'm making, from my perspective, have less value. Um, and it's not anyone's fault. It's technology and, and the economy and the way things are just developed. So on one hand, um, you know, we have the, uh, the, 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 the um, let's call it the... Um, I don't know, the downgrading of the publishing world. <laughs> and then you have the diminishing of, diminishment of photography. So all of a sudden, my career very much changed in the last few years um, from what it was. Um, you know, it, there, there's less work to go around. You get, there doesn't seem to be less photographers. And the jobs you get, you have to fight for, and they pay less. 
So it's no longer the exciting thing for me that it once was. <laughs> now I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm still working and I'm still doing photo books. In fact, I'm about to do, um, uh, uh, actually Chris Irving and I are about to do a companion for leaving tall buildings for the French market. Interesting. So you'll be dealing with French creators? No, no, no. Actually, or European creators? You tell me. That's a good idea, and I'd like to do that. That's not. This, that's not this <laughs> book, though. I have thought of that, though. Unfortunately, you know, Mobius is no longer with us, so it almost indeed like, kills my uh, excitement for it. But um, um, <laughs> no, it's interesting. Um, the uh, the the publisher Mutt Pop, uh, who who did the, the uh, French version of Leaping, uh, did well with it, and, and approached us about doing another book, but not about creators. Uh, the concept is. It's about the locations in New York City that figure prominently in comics, comics history, and comic book movies. So, for example, I'll, like the other day, I went up Central Park, uh, you know, Upper East Side, and photographed the Frick Collection building, which is a big mansion across from Central Park. That's an art museum, but it's also in the Marvel Universe supposed to be the Avengers Mansion. Oh, that's fantastic! So I photographed this spot, and Christopher Irving will write an essay about. Yeah, historically what the Frick is about and how it ties into the Avengers Mansion. And I have a list of like 30 or 40 of these to cover. And that, that'll is, be a book. Is the Frick Mansion, is that tied to Ford Frick? I don't know. Actually. Ford Frick was uh, – I'm uh, a baseball uh, executive and, and, and uh, baseball, you know, longtime baseball man. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if he was – if that was his family or whatever. Much like Bart Giamatti and Paul Giamatti being related, that I've heard. father and son. That I've heard. No, I th- yeah, I think the Fricks were some rich socialite Manhattan family, I believe. I don't know if the guy you're talking about was part of that family. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, all right, fair mm-hmm. enough. Um, I love that. That's fantastic. Um, it's a great idea. I uh, that's and it makes a lot of sense. And I certainly remember a couple of years ago there being an excellent uh, television program that you know showed New York as uh, as the Marvel universe depicts it and everything, right. and it was really w- well done. I remember. So yeah. I think that's. No, I think that's great. Well, and then because you are a videographer as well, as I said at the top of the show, you made that really good um, Activate um, video. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I mean, how important is what you do and your skills mm-hmm. going to be for hang dye in general beyond photography? I mean, you know, your visual skills. Right. Well, it's interesting. You know, I sit with all these cartoonists and, and their skills um, you know, blow me away. I can't draw. <laughs> and I, I wish I could draw, but I can't. Um, but, you know, I, I have a little bit of a different skill set in that, you know, I could do some, I could do graphic design and I do photography. Mm-hmm. So obviously a lot of uh, the logos you see on Hang Dye product were from me. Um, if there's a group shot or something, I, I've set that up. Um, uh, things like that. So I guess I'm kind of the uh, minister of propaganda for the group as well, maybe. Put it mildly. <laughs> Do you guys see beyond making books, uh, how much is multimedia going to be important for your studio? Um, you know, we're not really uh, – we're not really thinking about that yet. This started okay. with printed matter right now. We're not even really focusing on digital. It's really just printed matter um, and starting really small. In fact, the comics we've all made – um, are mostly just available from us at cons. We're not distributing them. Um, I put mine in a couple of stores locally, but it, mm-hmm. it's about, I think, we're trying to have a, um, a personal one-on-one experience with, with readers. You've got to come see us to get the stuff. And then you said, too, for the Kickstarter, um, you're obviously going to make an addition for Schmuck for, for the Kickstarter supporters. Yes. But as you say, too, you want a product that you know goes beyond that, yeah. and that's part of the funding as well. Exactly, which is why I'm I'm asking for uh, for more money than than normally I think folks would for just the graphic novel for the supporters. 
Um, and the and the books will be different. Um, there's a, a Dean Haspiel cover for the Kickstarter version, and the uh, the uh, official, what well, not the official, the mass market version, we'll call it, um, has an illustration by Joseph Remnant, who did Harvey Picard's Cleveland. Awesome. Is, I think he's great, and um, it's all designed by Eric Skillman. I don't know if you know Eric's work at all, but Eric, um, Eric, des- I know the name. I'm sure I do, but go yeah, on. Yeah, Eric designed Leaping Tall Buildings. I, I met him on that, but I was a fan of his for years because he designed. Well, designed still all those amazing Criterion Collection DVD packages. Oh wow! Yeah, so he's awesome. He also won an Eisner for Tales of Sand, that Jim Henson Archaea book. Yes, so, and I and I believe it probably is uh, his Tales of Sand uh, connection that that you know his name comes to mind. Yeah, but but yeah, you had me at hello with the Criterion yeah, stuff. That's they're, they're incredible. They're incredible. So I, I I love being able to work with him in this. He's already just brought you know so many ideas to the the packaging of the thing, where it's just going to look like a really it's like a sexy, well, not a sexy book, but a, a especially schmucky book, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I got to own that word, John. You know, I have to just own it and just be comfortable with it, and that, that's just me for now. So my wife completely I, agrees, by the way. She had no issue with me being labeled schmuck. So well, you must be doing something right, man. You're married. That's good. I guess, nice but guy. you know, listen. <laughs> Are you just clinging to each other out of fear? I can <laughs> appreciate that as well. Well, some days, not always. No, <laughs> on a bad day, maybe. <laughs> Too much, man. Yeah. No, uh, well, like I've said, I've always been impressed with your talent, you. and I do think that you have written a very funny book that also has really great art in it, and um, I, I do think for a first graphic novel, I think you've succeeded, and uh, I do think that uh, Schmuck is worth uh, uh, my listeners' attention, and I'm happy to help you promote it. And further, I am. I'm fascinated by what's going on. Uh, I... I share the kinship with you that I do with comic creators. We're all creating content yeah. and uh, trying to make our way in this big media world. And I do think there's a place for our kind of niche uh, content, but it's, you know, yeah, the, the, the challenge that we all face, getting that audience to, to pay attention to it yeah. and, uh, and support it. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, uh, I, I wish you luck. And I, and I know you got talented people you're working with. Yeah. Um, I hope that, uh, you get the attention you deserve and uh, that the, the book, uh, you know, the books that you guys all want to do with Hang Dye and everything uh, achieve what you want them to. Well, God, thank you, John. And geez, I really want that word bloom book. If you ever figure out how you want to make that. <laughs> there you go, man. I would, I would, well, I would love a copy of that. So, well, that's, you know, it's uh, I, I put it out there because it is uh, it's a project in progress. And like I said, when it's uh, when it's ready to be talked about more, I will, but uh, happy to share, uh, uh, you know, my ambitions with you. And again, yeah. Uh, hear how you're handling the f- same frustrations that I'm considering. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's always a learning experience, and that's one of the things I like about the show. Yeah. And I think that uh, a lot of people get a lot out of it, so I appreciate your point of view as you're creating this stuff, and all the best. Thank you, John, and, and I'm one of those people who get a lot out of the show, so, so thanks for doing it and for having me on it. Thanks so much. That last interview was recorded just a couple of weeks before we learned that uh, Seth had leukemia. And um, it was a big shock. I'm sure if you followed his story on uh, Facebook, then uh, you knew that he was very optimistic. And um, he would uh, draw pictures, uh, comic sketches uh, for his son while he was uh, in chemotherapy treatment. And um, he was able to go back home and was in uh, some form of remission for a bit. And um, I I think a lot of us really felt that uh, maybe he was going to be able to beat this thing. And uh, it's a shame that uh, he didn't. There's a GoFundMe um, account that is set up for uh, Seth's wife and son. 
And uh, the link is on uh, wordballoon.com. And if you uh, were to go over there, I think, uh, um, and, and give what you could. And uh, I hope you'll consider that. Uh, next time, uh, we'll go back to our usual conversation. And uh, it's uh, going to be uh, business as usual here at Word Balloon with uh, one less listener and one less participant in uh, the great Seth Kushner. We miss him and we honor him and his contribution to the comics community. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2015.